It's two people. You can't you put can, two, it's you four can, faces. You can put it on there like a hydra on the road. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Kapow! Yeah. We can't, mm. we can't guys, you guys are strong on your acknowledgement games <laughs> lately. Coming up with some new shit, man. It's yeah. uh, <laughs> your new catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs> Kapow! <laughs> I almost stole the one from Cars. There was, nice. a, there was a literal graphic that showed up in front of his microphone when he said Kapow. <laughs> I did. I put my arms up in a totally formal and accurate stance of whatever martial art uses kapow mm-hmm. i'm intimidated right now mm-hmm. have you ever had kapow chicken <laughs> george likes his chicken spicy <laughs> i have completely derailed this intro that's I'm so right sorry. and for music video sends barrett share boom there you there go, you go. A kapow and a boom week just like that we are uh fresh off of uh wizard world and wizard Nashville. world Ooh, thanks for making me sick yeah. <laughs> Gotta love that. Bunch of dicks. Apparently, public. apparently we haven't done enough cons because I guess that's normal. Like because there's so many people in such tight quarters over and they're so varied where they're from and all this other stuff that there's even like a name for it. Like they call it like con crud or whatever. Oh, really? Yeah. And like all these people weren't surprised on Twitter when I was like, I got sick after that con. So. <laughs> I think it's because you exchanged cosplay outfits with uh, Wonder Woman. Well, and <laughs> I exchanged saliva with Kato Kato. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we weren't kissing. <laughs> Never mind. That's definitely yeah. going to be worse. You, you were yelling you, at each other. <laughs> you told you told Kato OJ did it, man. I think, I think that Kato knows that and I, he's probably been told that and <laughs> I, well again that was mostly the wine speaking at that point um but uh you know thanks to aaron dicer for coming on and calling me out uh, i said i did it from afar apparently i was only like no, five feet away you were like oh yeah practically he, whispering it in his ear he That's just great. he literally like turned around um <laughs> i i'm kind of a bastard what can i say well kato kalen was much more of a bastard oh yes. yeah he was i mean i don't know i don't understand the uh appeal there <laughs> well i I'm, kept trying to figure it out if you're wizard world and you <laughs> want to have somebody who's emceeing the event and yep. everything why that one like your age your age range may be wide and everything but i still feel like it, it's people our age are the really the only ones who really know i'm gonna tell you yeah. what Corey feldman said no yeah <laughs> and that's how Maybe you end so. up now I do not know how he got away with some of the shit he was saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to start like in a kind of internet war. You go be you, Cato. I doubt you even care. I'm water on a duck's back to that guy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care. Um, but um, he got away with a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. Almost as though there were large chunks of time, maybe Friday when they opened to Sunday when they closed, where he was not being monitored by anybody. <laughs> Right? Yeah. No, definitely. Because there were at least a couple comments that I was like, someone's going to say something to him after this, right? Yeah. 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 I don't, I just, I never understood the appeal there. Like, I, I could understand if it was like 1998. Yeah. Like, he's doing a VH1 reality show. Years after the trial and everything, I could understand, but like, not 
more than 20 fucking years away from that event. I don't know. He's probably booming with all the OJ stuff that happened last year or the year before when there was that series Mm -hmm. and the documentary series. I watched the series, though, and he wasn't a big part of it. No, but he was a bigger part of the documentary series, which I think got more acclaim. That's true. But anyway, yeah, Cato Kalen was there, strangely enough. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also saw some people from Firefly. Yeah. Yeah. Summer Glau was there. Mm -hmm. Jewel State was there. Yeah. We saw Thomas Ian Nichols, Nicholas, Nicholas mm-hmm. from, from afar. Yep. Um, <laughs> we got to interview Jason Muse and Brian O'Hara. That's and that right. Was pretty awesome. That yeah. was fun. Um, have them on the last episode of the Sincast. Who uh, just came out. O'Halloran did an interview uh, saying that he's going to be a featured player in the Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Uh, oh, yeah. Thing. Awesome. Um, that uh, he's going to be playing, like I think, like an amalgam either of all of his characters or each of his characters individually. Oh, nice. Oh, that could be fun. Like. Gil Hicks and Dante, and <laughs> the guy from Chasing Amy, or whatever right. it was. Yeah, those that, uh, Kevin Smith has never cared about like breaking continuity or walls yeah. or what have you. <laughs> and so, I, uh, you're the bomb in Phantoms, Affleck. <laughs> I, I, I made the mistake. It wasn't a big mistake, but I made the mistake of like pretending that Jason Muse and Brian O'Halloran even knew who I was. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. So like when it was time, it, w- it was time to go and everything. I went up to shake his hand and Jason Muse like kind of took a step back a little <laughs> bit. And then finally he's like, well, I'm cornered. And, <laughs> and I was like, Hey, I'm Chris Agnison, blah, blah, blah. And, and then, you know, I, you know, then he realized, Oh yeah. So, um, but they were great. No, yeah, they were awesome. that was that was a that was a really good interview. They were really funny and really informative too. Mm-hmm. And we had, um, a lot of fans come out yep. and meet us. People that were um, just wanting to say hey. People that traveled from afar. Mm-hmm. Um, people that uh, came. A couple that said they only came once they found out we were going to be there. Mm-hmm. It's very flattering. Yep. To, yeah. uh, three normal dudes like us. You guys keep that up. Um, we had a nine-year-old. We had yeah. that nine-year-old was maybe one of my favorite things about the entire convention. <laughs> Highlight. <laughs> because I, I started out. Like, I always cringe when I meet a fan that young because I'm just like, oh, the shit that comes out of my mouth in these videos. This kid has heard how many blowjob jokes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, but after a while, you know, you get to a point where, first of all, his enthusiasm was so Oh, my God. Contagious. Yeah. About life. Not yeah. just about meeting us. That kid is just high on life. Uh, and I, th- I feel like I got a sense that he was maybe a little savvier than your average nine-year-old, mm-hmm. at least in terms of like pop culture and entertainment stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he kept coming back. Like yeah. Every time he would think of something new to tell us, he would come back. And it was just oh, it was an awesome He, he, awesome t- he told us that Kong Skull Island was his favorite video. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he might have been told to say that. or Might have been. But no, again, no, that was off the cuff, But man. again, see, that that just shows he's a little savvier than yeah. you know your mm-hmm. average nine-year-old. That was awesome. We got to meet a bunch of Twitter friends that mm-hmm. we've communicated with for years. Um, really, really had a good time. Yeah, the dinner and the movie thing was, was a lot of fun, too. Well, what I remember of it... <laughs> Yeah. Um, I even asked Barrett the next day. I didn't like embarrass myself, did I? Because again, I had a little too much wine, and we all had microphones, and it, it gets to be a point where my filter starts to shrink. And you know, realize this: that even the mystery science theater guys aren't doing that shit live. Oh, they yeah, have yeah. it all yeah, well scripted, all scripted out. So we're like sitting there trying to come up with our best. And there were like times I was like, I really want to say something here, but it, oh, the scene's already passed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, By the and, time you formulate the thought in your head. It's moved on in the imagery. Yeah. And that movie is Sleeping Beauty is like so short. Yeah. So no it's, kidding. it's clocking. It's going through there, man. <laughs> I think the interesting thing, too, about the, the booth that we had is a couple of times 
people would walk by and go, love your videos, and just keep walking. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I guess you just don't want to meet us for some reason. Well, like, it would ruin it. Depending on when it would have been in my life. Now, I never went to a Comic-Con until I was, you know, basically that was like three years ago. It was the first time I ever went. And when I was a teenager, they weren't even that big of a deal. I'm sure San Diego Comic-Con, New York Comic-Con were probably going on when I was a teenager not too long after that, but I might have behaved like that if I walked past somebody that I, you know, really liked their work, whether, whether it was an actress or what have you. I mean, 15-year-old me would have gone by Summer Glau without even looking her in the eye. <laughs> I would have been too scared. Yeah, I, I, just, love you. I just want to breathe the same air. Okay, I'm, I'm gone. <laughs> so, I mean, some of it may, may be that. Some of it may be time. Some of it may be, oh, I didn't know they were here. Uh, I'm aware of them, but I'm not a super fan. Love your videos. And then you'd have the complete opposite where they didn't even hear of you before and they come up to the yeah. table and they start looking at everything yeah. on there. Like, those. So, what's cinema sense? Yeah, what do you guys do? <laughs> where like, do we Start. They want to have the convention experience, man. They want to go to every booth yeah, and yeah. learn everything. I think a lot of people are like that. Yeah. I just just all around, I thought it was a really great fun experience. Yes, and that it was. convention center is sweet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sweet. We our thing was taking place over three floors, and I bet we only saw 10% of that building. Mm, yeah, probably. I mean, it's just enormous. It takes up like four city blocks. There um, were two other cons going on. Yeah, there. Or what, no, yeah conventions. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. We went into the wrong one. We went to like the Home and Garden one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, we had a booth at the Home and Garden. Yeah. It's right over here. Not Kato very... was also doing yeah, that one. Yeah, weirdly <laughs> That's enough. That's right. Uh, but yeah, all in all, great experience. Mm -hmm. uh, enjoyed it uh, immensely. I've enjoyed going to cons every time we've done it. C2E2 was fun. Our Rhode Island one was fun. There's such a great environment at those things, mm -hmm. man. It's just such a warm, accepting, I'm weird, you're weird, we all like something weird, yeah. but we share the obsession with something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and that builds a sense of community that's really unique. I don't think I've felt that in a whole lot of different places. Yeah. And yeah. it's weird seeing the, the cosplayers unite in weird ways like you'd see jason Voorhees interacting with green arrow or something like well, that yeah the, my you know? favorite was that wolverine guy that posed with wonder woman i'm like wow i'm crossing the streams there a little bit <laughs> well and then the we one had, that i thought was john wick um, <laughs> yeah that's the one <laughs> who, uh, uh, I'm, this is uh, this is me not being able to come up with character names right off the bat but the will smith suicide dead shot dead shot the dead shot guy who every single batman character that would go past him he would like very like surreptitiously point his gun at every one of every them every single one it was well, that's like the first thing we saw walking in yeah, yeah. And we were all giggling in line anyway yeah that was fun we're gonna do a new topic today Ooh, um so excited about we've this. been talking about this for a while yep, actually um about doing a sort of a mount rushmore of our of our all-time best you know whatever we're gonna do directors today the best jerry the best i want to go to mount rushmore Hail to the chief, he's the chief and he needs hailing. He is the chief, so everybody hail like crazy. Best of the best of the best, sir. <laughs> that's just that's very funny to me. Yeah. Um, we originally it, talked about like a Hall of Fame kind of thing, but that leaves it so open-ended. Mm -hmm. And I think the discussion and the choice, the discussion will be better and the choices will be harder by limiting ourselves to four in any category of film. And we're going to do as many as we can squeeze out. Like, I think we should do actors and we should give actresses their own. Mm -hmm. um, and I think uh, maybe even supporting players from over the years, composers, writers, yep. maybe producers. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah, and I think uh, when you when you first hear about a topic like this, you're like, oh, well, those it'll be these four, and there's mm -hmm. no... Mm, it's not as easy as you think. Well, no. it's that, and this is the Sincast Mount Rushmore. Right. This is not like... 
Leonard Malton's Mount Rushmore. Right. Like he's he's seen all like the new wave of French cinema and shit like that. Well, that's you know? the thing, right? Like, uh, you know, I, I'll be the first to admit that we're we're lacking on a lot of like the classic guys and everything. I am going to pitch a few of them though. Mm-hmm. Because I am going to, we are going to have to consider some of these people. Oh yeah. Um, because I tell you what, man, I'm going through going through some of these classic yeah. directors. Yeah. I'm like, you've heard of that movie? 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 <laughs> oh yeah. And you know they stack up even just if even if you haven't seen the movie. You tell me if you think this is lame. Mm-hmm. I think it might be fun to do every every week when we're doing this topic. The first thing we start out with is we all at the same time say the name of a director we're pretty sure is a, a shoe in all right and whether that means after discussion or ultimate voting or what have you we're all picking the, the one name we think is the shoe iniest mm-hmm. and we say it all at the same time i have a suspicion we're not all going to say the same name mm-hmm. all right i don't know maybe on this one we would maybe so because i've got one that i think is i think one is 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 grand slam mm-hmm. so you want to do this yeah i would love to okay, okay. i'm gonna count down from three mm-hmm. three two one spielberg Hitchcock. Oh, I you hit, say his Spielberg. Oh, but, yeah. But and Hitchcock. You? I said Hitchcock. But yeah. I, Hitchcock was second. Like, yeah. I feel like two spots might already be there. Mm-hmm. And then the other two, you got to start thinking about it a little bit. Now, I came up with a little bit of a criteria for this. Right. Not not a big one. Um, obviously, they have to have a, a, a huge spectrum of work that has lots and lots of either critical hits or or big blockbusters. Sorry, hits. Burt Ratner. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and he would have totally been in the running. Or Ben Affleck, I guess, too. Yeah. Well, yeah, I would actually that's a good example. Or Brad Bird, somebody who's who's got a great percentage track record but only has made four or five films. Mm-hmm. Right. Um I also even though awards don't really matter to me as far as like, oh, that movie won awards, blah blah blah. Awards, I mean, are fun. They're not a, an actual measure of quality or Mm -hmm. anything Mm -hmm. but i do think it's somewhat important to think of how their peers looked at them right uh and uh the cultural impact how do those movies hold up today if they are old um a lot of those type of factors go in yeah and also another one i thought of i think one percent in every discussion should be devoted to like how how mount rushmore worthy of a head do they have Oh, because like yeah. Hitchcock has already against perfect. all directors, perfect. he has a perfect kind of yeah. face for that this sort of thing. I don't think it should be a, a very heavy weight. Mm-hmm. Like obviously, it shouldn't be a tie breaking kind of thing. But I think you know, I think Spielberg's head would look pretty good up there. Mm-hmm. Right? If we put up somebody like. Um, Oh, Darren Aronofsky, right? Mm-hmm. They'd be like, oh, it's older Ryan Johnson. You, yeah, what, you, you wouldn't know who that was. <laughs> right, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Um, oh, it's Moby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, so we're going to, are we, so how are we going to do this? We're going to nominate? I think we should nominate out and discuss. Yep. And, and at any point along the way, if we reach any kind of consensus, we can lock somebody in. Mm-hmm. So, um, so let's, t- I think we should start with Spielberg and Hitchcock. Okay. Um. Spielberg has one of the best body of works of any director ever, yep. um, and it's stretched a long period of time. Only in the last couple of his films have I been sort of like not excited or not interested. This Ready Player One looks pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, very few people are going to have the, the longevity of career to match up against, you know, him. And then box office wise, awards wise, uh, you know, magic wise, like how many of our favorite movies growing up were his? 
It also seems like, and this is a rarity, I think, in directors. Like it, it seems like he's just super well respected with with no baggage. It doesn't seem like right people are calling him an asshole as soon as they're done working with him. He's worked with obviously millions of people. Yeah, who mm-hmm. hates that guy? Yeah, I mean, he's like Tom Hanks, exactly. Nobody. Yeah, I guess that's why they work together. Somebody. I guess it is. Yeah, either that or they're just friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, and you know, Hitchcock I, was the was the name I threw out as as probably a shoe in, just because again, um, great body of work. But you know, he also has that rare run of five movies that are just A plus plus ten star. Nobody thinks anything bad about them. He was super inventive. Um, you know, the only knock on him is that unlike Spielberg, there are a few people that were like, ah, I hated working with that guy. He treated me like a jerk. Yeah, but he he was like the Miguel Cabrera of of filmmakers. Is that like, a baseball reference? Yeah, okay. they were. No, it's not Miguel Cabrera. Who's the one that's hitting all the home runs this year? Is that Cabrera? Stanton. G- Giancarlo, Giancarlo Stanton. Stanton. He's the Giancarlo Stanton <laughs> of, <laughs> of directors. He hits so many home runs. Like, yeah. Obviously, Spielberg has a ton, too, but he's also got like a lot of singles and doubles, too. Yeah, Hitchcock never really did prestige pictures or anything. Mm-hmm. Spielberg, it always felt like he was always looking for that sort of uh, recognition from Hollywood. And if you can ever find that video of him when Jaws was nominated, he didn't get nominated for Jaws, but mm-hmm. the picture did. And he was like so certain it was going to win and all that. <laughs> Uh, find that video because he's like it's like a party with him just like drinking and stuff and he's like Jaws is gonna win made all the made most money this year blah blah blah, blah. anyway was that Milos Forman that won that year uh, for one flew over the yes. cuckoo's another point for Milos <laughs> um, but um, Hitchcock uh, wasn't really appreciated until I believe it was all these French New Wave directors who were coming out like mm-hmm. Godard and uh, Truffaut and all that these were the people who started saying that Hitchcock should be assessed better than he had been at that point. Cause I guess Hitchcock wasn't exactly looked upon as this great legendary director mm-hmm. back in the sixties until these guys came along. He still managed to work with some of the biggest names in Hollywood. Well, yeah. I every mean, time in and out, I'm sure everybody realized these movies are good, Yeah, you know? And, uh, so I looked at Hitchcock. He got nominated five times uh, for Best Director, and that was for Rebecca, which is a really great movie, Lifeboat, which I've never seen, Spellbound is really good, Rear Window, which of course is yeah. one of our favorites, mm-hmm. and Psycho. Uh, he did not get nominated for North by Northwest or wow. Vertigo, and then he's got The Wrong Man, The Man Who Knew Too Much, To Catch a Thief, Dial in for, for Murder, Strangers on a Train, Rope, and Notorious and God, sabotage damn. all those movies are like considered his and he was by far the most i wrote for any director like name name pictures in the in the roster and i, I skipped over a few that you could even include mm-hmm. uh so it felt like a slam dunk to me even though the academy never really recognized him mm. And, um, but he was, I mean, he was, he was recognized later on. There's a lot of those type of directors. If you look at, um, some of their, their body of work and how they're perceived today and everything, they weren't really Academy guys sometimes. Right. He's also a weird dude. Like mm-hmm. he, he's the, the opposite of, of Spielberg, like mercurial and like every shot that you see of him, like, like a, like a photograph or something like that. Like he's in a suit laying in the, in the lake or something like that. And like, he's just, he's just weird, <laughs> yeah. which is great because it came across in his movies. I mean, who would, who would think of how he shot the birds or something like that? Or obviously psycho or North by Northwest, by the way, he's the only director I think in this discussion that has 
an actual shot of Mount Rushmore. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. North by Northwest. North by Northwest. Yeah. Well, whoever directed National Treasure 2. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Book mm-hmm. of Secrets. And Team America, too, has a Mount yeah, Rushmore scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, looking at Spielberg, he's been nominated seven times. He won twice. Um, That's it? Yeah. Color wow. Purple? Uh, he, he got nominated the first time. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Then Raiders, E.T., Color Purple. Schindler's List was his first win. Uh, Saving Private Ryan was his second win, which the movie didn't win. Mm -hmm. Uh, Munich. uh, Munich! Yeah. (laughs) And Munich is his last. Well, no, Lincoln. I guess Lincoln is also his last. Uh, So then after that, yeah, uh, Jaws obviously should be on the list. Empire of the Sun, which is... uh, you know, I was. I think it was that was that period of Spielberg trying to be, yeah. trying to get that award. Man, right. he had Color Purple and Empire of the Sun come back to back, but then Jurassic Park and uh-huh. Minority Report and Catch Me If You Can. Mm-hmm. All those I included as far as like great movies. Yeah. I mean, if you, I've skipped over a few that you could consider at least minor. You know, minor good movies or whatever. Yeah, always. Uh, yeah, always. <laughs> um, so Warhorse. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Warhorse. See, Spielberg lately—that's the thing. Yep. Like, you start like piling some of his. If you if you started including some of the stuff he's done like in the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing. I was thinking if I if I had one like golden coin and I could guarantee a director would be up there for sure, my, it would probably be Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. And the only reason is that he, you know, Spielberg has more misses than Hitchcock does. And, you know, it's only because Spielberg has worked longer and math exists and odds <laughs> happen um, because you just can't be... Even look at Pixar. Pixar had a run there where everybody was like, they're never going to make a movie that's not good. And then they, yeah. they did a few times. Yeah. Um, and so, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, I think these two are both worthy. I would be willing to go ahead and put them right up there on that thing. Um, so then you start getting into some directors that, you know, they're definitely legendary do they have the what it takes to get up on Mount Rushmore? Martin Scorsese is another immediate one that comes to mind. Sure, Scorsese. <laughs> yeah, Scorsese. I like to think of myself <laughs> like as the next, next. Scorsese. <laughs> I was funny side story. I went for a walk with my wife this morning, and I was talking about this topic today, and I I realized in the moment. You know, I'm not sure I know who the actual four presidents are that are on Mount Rushmore, <laughs> but I, I'm happy to say we figured it out. In by the time we got back to the house on our walk, and I was correct. So. I'm sure. I bet you. There's a significant portion of the population in America that does not know who the presidents are. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah. You know? I mean, they, most of them could probably get one or two just because yeah. you heard so many names over the years. Yeah. But, you know, I got through Washington, Lincoln, and Roosevelt, and it took me a while to get Jefferson. Oh, Those are yeah. the easiest ones. Those first three are yeah. the easiest ones because after that, it's like out of all the presidents, is <laughs> who are we going to put up there? Who's the Ringo of yes. the. Uh, right. yes. I just compared Thomas Jefferson to Ringo Starr. You sure did. You sure mm-hmm. did. But, you know, he's dead. He's not offended. Yeah. I love that moment. By the way, talk about derailing on the uh, Leonard Maltin schmoes thing mm-hmm. um, where uh, they offered multiple choice to the Beatles question. And she's <laughs> like, we know all the four Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. I was telling Chris that day, though, that question was kind of, I mean, not unfair at all, but it gave itself away because the movie they were asking about was a comedy mm-hmm. and no character would say their favorite Beatle was anyone but Ringo yeah. in a comedy, yeah. right? Because yeah. otherwise, you're just stating an opinion most people have. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Scorsese, uh, eight nominations, one win. Wow. Eight? Uh, wow. And what did he win for? He won for The Departed. Uh, the Departed. I was watching even, that last night, man. It's great, but that's not even one I would give him an award well, for. Well, and, mm. and he's, I mean, here's the thing. He didn't get nominated for Taxi Driver, which is generally considered his best. 
Uh, his first nomination was for Raging Bull, mm-hmm. and then he got nominated for Last Temptation of Christ, Goodfellas, Gangs of New York, The Aviator, then The Departed, Hugo, and The Wolf of Wall Street. Man, oh, that's no- a great track record. Yeah, and then after that, you have movies like Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, and I put The King of Comedy in there. Mm-hmm. I think a few, I like that one. I think a few people uh, sort of uh, neglect that movie, but it's it's actually really good. Uh, and I've skipped over a few of those Scorsese that, you know, some people will be like, hey, Casino might be mm-hmm. deserve to be in there. And I like Casino. I just don't think it, it I don't think it belongs in that discussion. What do you, where do you stand on The Aviator? I, I, I'm not a fan of The Aviator. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. It, it was just going, it was, it was, it's punching above its weight, I think. And there's, there's Scorsese really trying to win the Oscar. Yeah, he's doing like, like a Spielberg, basically. Yeah. Well, even Leo's really trying to win an Oscar. Yeah. And uh, and these these biopics, it's what it just comes down to. It looks just like every other biopic that's ever been made. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like a Scorsese movie at all. So yeah, yeah. not 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 a huge fan of the Aviator, but um, Scorsese's yeah. got a great Mount Rushmore face, though. If you want to if you want to consider that, like he would be instantly recognizable. I agree. Mm-hmm. No. I agree. Yeah. yeah. What about uh your good pal Kubrick? Kubrick. Okay. So Kubrick, that's who I thought you were going to say when we all three said our names. Well, I don't think he's he's a slam dunk. I'm, personally, obviously, he's one of my favorite directors of all time. Sure, he doesn't have the breadth of these other ones no. though because he took so fucking long to make mm-hmm. movies. So he made what a total of how many? Oh, probably thirteen. It, it's something like, like that. sixteen, I think. But yeah. but a lot of the movies he made, he used to work like crazy in the fifties and then the sixties. Hmm. And then it was when he started doing when he did a Clockwork Orange, it started taking him more and more time between movies to do stuff. Okay, yeah. so we're both right. He did thirteen features, but he did sixteen overall. Oh, he sixteen did. total. Yeah. Look things. at that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Flexing the knowledge. We, we love us some Kubrick around here. Um, Kubrick got nominated four times in his career. Dr. Strangelove, 2001, A Clockwork Orange, and Barry Lyndon. Um, mm-hmm. After that, he's got movies like The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, Eyes Wide Shut, and then the older movies, The Killing, Paths of Glory, Spartacus, and Lolita. Look at that run, though, man. Mm-hmm. The Killing, which is great. Uh, Paths of Glory, Spartacus, Lolita, Doctor Strange, Love, Two Thousand One, A Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon. Okay, The mm-hmm. Shining, Full Metal Jacket, and Eyes Wide Shut. Mm-hmm. That is a fucking run right there. Well, again, yeah. he's got he's got a very good. If you want to, if you let's create a baseball type analytic stat, mm-hmm. right? And and it'll be for the percentage of their movies that were great. Mm-hmm. We'll call it the o- OBP. <laughs> just or, or something. <laughs> uh, he's got a very high score in that particular yes. measurement, um, and that that has to count for something. Um, you know, I'm not sure he ever was a director for the masses. Yeah, he's polarizing. Yeah, unlike Spielberg, who who makes movies that are both critically acclaimed and loved by film nerds, mm-hmm. but also the general public. Kubrick's more of a of, of an acquired taste, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I know what first time I saw 2001, I was way not mature enough to understand what was going on i just thought what is this boring crap yeah uh and you know i watch it from this the other side now of my life and i'm like ah more boring crap please i love it um but But, yeah very high obp yeah Um, no i mean he's so innovative because i mean if you look at like hitchcock who's who's a slam dunk for us he kills off janet lee in the beginning of psycho like the the biggest person in his movie And yeah, I mean, so I, I see a lot of similarities in Kubrick and, and Hitchcock, I think. He's got two that I think everybody considers masterpieces, mm-hmm. Dr. Strangelove and 2001. After that, you're going to have debate. Like yeah. Clockwork Orange is going to be debated because it's so violent mm-hmm. and, 
and everything just as the book was right. um barry Lyndon because it's so dry and like hard to get yeah. into um the shining i think has gotten more of a, a following over the years oh over yeah i the think years. so yeah um i don't know i think i don't know if people are ready to call it masterpiece though um oh you they, don't think maybe they are i don't know i'm maybe. clouded by my love of that movie i can I watch it too. just so i can watch it it's every been a long time though since i remember having conversations with somebody who didn't i know it happened but it's been a long time mm. and and uh, full metal jacket is polarizing uh, yeah, and, and it's because of the polarizing nature of the movie itself. Yeah. There's man a great, to interject. Go ahead. Sorry, no, there's I'm sorry. a great opening, and then the second half, you're either on board with it or you're not. Yeah, and that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. So I saw this headline yesterday that said Matthew Modine says uh, Full Metal Jacket was the most toxic environment he ever worked uh, had the disprivilege of working in. Mm -hmm. Really? You click through the article, he's being literal. There was some kind of toxic garbage dump nearby. That like got a bunch of people sick working on the movie because it was literally a toxic environment. And oh, some jackass said, I'm going to take this poll quote for the yeah, headline and make it sound fuck. like he hated working with them. And guy. that's interesting, too, because I read I didn't know I, I don't think I read his whole memoir on Full Metal Jacket, but I did read like a, a big, huge excerpt, I think. And maybe I read the whole thing. I don't remember. Hmm. I used to used to when I was in movie theaters, I'd go through entire books sometimes. Yeah. But um I don't as when you said that I was like I don't remember him I remember him saying that he and D'Onofrio were like apart a lot because D'Onofrio was doing all that method shit yeah and he was you know there's so there were a lot of like you know little conflicts with actors and stuff for like screen time and you know all this attention and all that but. Uh, I was like, I, he didn't. It didn't seem like he came out of it going, "I hate Kubrick, right. I hate D'Onofrio." <laughs> right. You know? No, he was being literal, and they just made a catchy headline. I thought, "You bastards!" For and a I, guy with a with a middling career, Modine has worked with two amazing directors, with Nolan and uh, mm -hmm. and Kubrick. You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, but yeah, Full Metal Jacket. I, I watched uh, Ebert, Siskel and Ebert, uh, the old '87 episode where mm -hmm. they're debating this movie and everything, and Ebert liked it to a point no siskel loved it and mm -hmm. ebert hated it oh really yeah interesting yeah S siskel ebert was saying this is just like every other vietnam war movie that's ever come out and then siskel was like no no you're you know this this movie's a masterpiece blah 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 hey, you can't make that argument though it is definitely uh, not like that now yeah i mean we, he may have not this, have said that no sure yeah but yeah. i mean we've had this conversation many times of how great the first part is. I think everybody is on board with that. Um, just because that, to that point, had really never been done. By the way, when I watched this the other day, like it's almost scoreless mm -hmm. in that, that first part. Like you hear just the clump of the, the boots and yeah. stuff like that. And you, you get this rising anxiety the whole time. The second part is a typical war movie, Vietnam War movie, but it's a war movie directed by Stanley Kubrick, so it's really fucking good. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's not like it's not like it's bad or right. anything like that. It's just like it is a little more standard than the first part. Yeah. Um. And then Eyes Wide Shut is another polarizing movie. Love that movie. I so do much. too. I do too. And it's got a lot to to grab onto yep. and everything. And it's just uh, I think a lot of times people are just like it's too boring. I can't get into it. It may be one of his most technically proficient movies. Mm -hmm. Like just the use of color and the use of framing and. The close-up on Cruz's face when when uh, Nicole Kidman is telling him that story about the sailor that she was fantasizing about. Yeah. And he holds completely still. But it's one of the best Cruz performances ever. For somebody that's, that's famous for being so meticulous, it bothers me greatly how not New York all those streets look. It no, just, he did that on purpose, though. Mm -hmm. He did it on purpose? Mm-hmm. Why? 
because the whole movie is trying to set up a dreamlike uh, feeling the entire time. And I've heard everybody. I thought it was just that he didn't want to leave London. Well, so he made that's everybody part come of it, too. Obviously, he doesn't like flying. Right. Uh, but uh, obviously, they could have made that look like New York if they wanted to. They could have gone to Pinewood or whatever. Mm-hmm. Was, you know, that's the only one I know in London. There's probably a million <laughs> more. But they could have gone to one of these studios and and made a New York that was believable. And, and if you look at it, it doesn't even look like a believable city. No. It, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's, you know, it's not just that it's not New York. It looks like it's a miniature type of you know, it looks like there's cardboard that yeah, you can punch Yeah, it looks like through. a set. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so I, I do believe when you see him walking around and all that, it's supposed to invoke this dreamlike quality. And that's the reason why I get so into it. Mm-hmm. When, I, ever, when I turn it on, it just sort of puts me in a trance mm. the entire time. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's not like New York at all. And I then, think you guys should just be honest about how much you like watching orgies. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's no, look, I've been orgy. very upfront about my orgy watch. <laughs> the, uh, I, there's been so many orgies and music videos recently, by the way, mm-hmm. that I feel like all of them could have an outtake. And I did put one in the Fifth Harmony video of the, the dude, the grandmaster guy <laughs> with the circle of naked ladies around him going, that orgy is, by the way, the, the the least sexy thing about that movie. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. What's, what's just the like, most sexy thing about it? that? Mo- that mirror mo- scene. The what scene? The mirror scene. Yeah, I don't even know if that's sexy. I mean, it's half of it is sexy, <laughs> and half of it is Tom Cruise yeah. like, eating the cold kid's face. <laughs> <laughs> Who are some others we want to discuss? I thought we probably would throw out. There's a bunch of names, but I thought we probably would throw out uh, Coppola at some mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because the highs on his resume are super high. But again, I think he's got maybe more misses than some other candidates. Obviously, The Godfather and Godfather 2 are great. Uh, yep. He's got Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are probably his three most famous and beloved movies. There right? is nobody on this list that you would immediately come up with on this on this topic and then instantly dismiss almost because <laughs> his whole his whole career of work depends on that Godfather series. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, and he's got, after that, he's got apocalypse. Now he's got the conversation. Everything else is like either a sort of a failure or it's uh, or it's like, oh, I kind of like that. Or, yeah. you know, and then once he gets past the rainmaker in 1997, like all of his movies are like some, either you've never seen it or it's just not good or. Yeah. I think he just got into wine. Yeah. I mean, because he, he, he built that estate out there, uh, which I've been to, and it's it's gorgeous. But, like, it's it's kind of just his thing now. I've never seen a wine that. store that does not carry that brand. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there there are several brands I enjoy drinking, and I'll have to go to certain stores in town because they don't all carry the same thing. They mm-hmm. all carry that cobble yeah. of shit. Yeah. Every single one of them. There's something to be said about that. I mean, about getting fat and happy, basically. Yep. And I'm not saying anything about him or whatever. I'm just saying... <laughs> or his weight. <laughs> right. I'm just saying that it's... it's um, it, Once you get your money, there's really... It becomes like, what what do I need to... How do I need to impress people anymore? Because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like I see that uh, a lot with a lot of these people who make like tons of money really early on and then and then they just kind of fade off after that it it's kind of like a rock a, a rock star like you're gonna do your best work probably before you're 30 and yeah. then afterwards you're gonna be dave grohl or something like that hey they know? just put out their ninth album dick yeah. actually it's got a good when song did you on turn it. on dave grohl no he's adorable 
But his best work was done when he was, you know, before 30. Did you watch any of that series where they wrote, went around to cities and mm-hmm. wrote something? You didn't like any of that? No, it was fine. Jesus. It was fine, but it wasn't the color and the shape, and it wasn't, you know, Nirvana. It wasn't, uh, there's nothing left to lose. Um, right. Francis Ford Coppola has been nominated four times. Three of those are Godfathers, <laughs> and then the Apocalypse Now, and then The Conversation is the other movie that uh, I always cite for Coppola. He's won it once. That was for Godfather 2. And yeah, I think, you know, I mean, think about the life that guy had with the apocalypse now and all the problems he had on that set and mm-hmm. everything. And then just, you know, then starting a huge, successful winery yep. and everything. I don't blame the guy. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, do what you want to do. There's like that. a line of demarcation, isn't it? North. That's basically the, the line of demarcation of his career. The movie North. No, that's, no, Rob, that's Rob Reiner. Reiner. That's Rob Reiner. But you're Sorry. still right. I'm thinking about... <laughs> I'm thinking about uh, Tucker in the dream. Well, guess, Tucker, so. Tucker was uh, definitely one of the, I mean, it was I, sort of the ironic thing. Tucker, Man in His Dream was about a car that, uh, shooting big for a car that failed, yeah. and he tried to do that with a movie and failed. Yep. Uh, I also think that Jack is another movie. Uh, that, that's what I was thinking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That movie is asinine. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God, Robin Williams, God rest his soul, he made some really bad choices. Mm -hmm. That was one of them. Yes, he did. Jack, oh my God. Toys. I can see the studio (laughs) money guy going, Robin Williams playing an (laughs) eight-year-old? Gold. All the money. Give him all the money. That's literally where they stopped. They just rolled cameras for a few days. God, I hate that. It's it's interesting. If If Coppola had come out with even the rainmaker is the closest that i can think of i mean some people give cotton club like it's i actually like cotton club yeah that's a good movie i like rainmaker a lot too and and some people give i mean i guess i guess it's depends on your age the outsiders Mm -hmm. uh uh, uh, especially considering everybody in hollywood wanted that (laughs) wanted roles in that thing well but when you watch the outsiders it's like uh, don't say that to Josh. Eh. He loves it. I'm going to say eh to Josh <laughs> if he ever brings up the outsider. Are you listening? Eh. He said eh. Yeah. Um, but uh, so so he's got a few in there that people might want to bring up and say. But it, I mean, it's, just, it's nowhere near the the peak. Yeah. So yeah, I I almost like subconsciously once I wrote down all the stuff that he was involved with, I was like. He's probably not going to make it. No. Yeah. Can no. I throw one out? Go yeah. for it. Uh, how about Tarantino? Yeah. Yeah. See, I think you just you just have a recency bias there, and it's going to be very hard. I think just knowing the three of us for somebody who's currently still making films regularly, other than like a Spielberg who's mm-hmm. been doing it for forty years, uh, like Nolan's going to have a hard time. Mm. I think, uh, and, and Tarantino's another one. I think will have a tough time. He's got a pretty good track record, but. For me, he's got some misses. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's made three, I think, classic movies. I think mm-hmm. Jackie Brown, Pulp Fiction, and Inglorious Bastards, I think, are up there. Um, Those are my three favorite of his. And then everything else, to me at least, Reservoir Dogs, uh, Django, uh, Hateful Eight, all that stuff, is still like a double, a triple to me. Like I, I think it's, it's just really, really his- great filmmaker his track record of all the people who are recent though is better than almost anybody mm-hmm. uh you have to put tarantino in sort of i guess the context of like nolan yeah and um, so i think nolan's obp will challenge tarantino's the only mark on him is that insomnia movie which uh, the more i see it the more i like it well, oh yeah and the dark knight rises oh shit yeah for, uh, for i still blame but his uh, not so him. yeah so tarantino like 
almost all of his movies are immediately recognizable and yeah. they 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 hit with a lot of people but for most people it's going to be pulp fiction mm-hmm. reservoir dogs and inglorious bastards mm-hmm. and they're gonna forget about jackie brown because i've i've heard some i heard uh, i'll tell you what hurt me is when Django Unchained came out and everybody thought that was like the all the rage and everything. And uh and I remember talking to somebody at the theater and he was like, That's that's probably my favorite Tarantino movie of all time and I was like, Oh man, really? <laughs> um he's like, It it sure is better than that bullshit Jackie Brown. I was like, You what? motherfucker. Oh my god. god. Those are fighting words. Jeremy man. and I were almost late to the convention because we were watching Jackie Brown mm-hmm. <laughs> separately, not together. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, looking at Nolan, you know, it's, it's Memento, it's two of the Batmans, it's the Prestige, Inception, Interstellar, and Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. Pretty much almost always knocking it out of the park yep. on every one of those. And there's two movies, really, and he can't really fault him for two movies no, out agree. of that group. But also, he just, he doesn't have the track record yet. Like, right. he, he could be like, if you look at some of these directors I looked up and sort of researched, they had a period of time, much like Nolan, mm-hmm. and then fell off the cliff after that. So time will tell if Nolan deserves to be on there. I guess, uh, so Memento was 99? 2001. Two, 2001. Okay, so we're working on basically 15, 16 years. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of peak. But Dunkirk, man, I feel like the next time I, I see Dunkirk, I'm going to consider it like a classic. I have never come out of a movie with a stronger feeling that the director of what I just watched is just not even playing the same game as everybody else in Hollywood. <laughs> mm-hmm. like his brain is on a whole different level. And yeah, I'm, I'm in for whatever he makes. It's mm-hmm. the same with Fincher. And I think I bring Fincher into this conversation if he had done more films. Fincher seems to be leaning more the Kubrick way of taking a lot longer in between projects. Uh, and of course, he got a little sidetracked with uh, Kevin Spacey show on Netflix, House of Cards. Yeah, House of Cards. Um, and of course, his next movie is going to be World War Z 2, yeah. which yeah. I am pumped for. But anyway... Um, you know, those are my probably my two, the only two directors right now that I'm just like, whatever it is, I'm there. Can we stay on Fincher for a little bit? Mm-hmm. Another one that that has directed three classic movies, probably right. Um, Fight Club, Seven, Zodiac, Zodiac, um, and then Social yeah, Network. The, Actually, that would be four. And the game, I think, is, is definitely worth mentioning. Right? It's definitely it wasn't a huge hit or anything, but um, yeah, Fincher is interesting. Two nominations, Social Network and The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Yeah, of all which movies. is my yeah. least favorite of yeah. his. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, Seven, The Game, Fight Club, Zodiac, and Gone Girl. Um, all, you know. It's great. Either, and then, either big hits or critical hits. And I'll throw in a little bit that, that he's like an iconic music video director. He did Billy Idol's Cradle of Love. Mm-hmm. Wow. He did Madonna's Vogue. Yep. Uh, he did George Michael's Freedom 90. Yep. Um, he <laughs> did Paul Abdul's Forever You Girl. Which I, I like. And he did Aerosmith's Janie's Got a Gun. Yeah. Um, uh, the guy's killing it. One of the few uh, MTV guys to come in and actually start making great movies. Of course, it, it took an Alien 3 before he got into really good movies. But Yeah. Um, but uh, but Fincher, like, it seemed like everybody who was a music video guy, like uh, Michael Bay or mm. a commercial guy or something like that, was getting into movies in the 90s. And they were all... These hyperkinetic, yeah. super will, super quick edited type of movies, and uh, and he was the only one who said no, no, we're not doing that with movies. This yep. is a different medium. Well, I think Spike Jones did that a little bit too. Yeah, although think- Spike Jones like has well, I mean, I, you're not wrong. It's just that Spike Jones has 
like three total, four total movies, yeah. pretty much. No, no, totally. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. Spike Jones is definitely on that yeah. list. All right, who are we talking about? Should we go way, way back? Do we need to go back to somebody like... Well, I do want to go way, way back. Let's do it. Um, I've got a couple, a few, actually, that I want to talk about. David Lean is a is a name that i'm sure a lot of like huge film fans are going to be like you have to mention david lean nominated seven times won twice um he won twice for two movies that i hold in very high esteem the bridge on the river kwai and lawrence of arabia oh. um he got he got nominated for a movie i've never seen brief encounter then he did a great expectations mm-hmm. uh a movie called summertime and then Dr. Zhivago. That's a, uh, I can't. I, I did not like Dr. Zhivago. I'm sure there's some sort of meditative uh, brilliance. Uh, to I'll tell you what. Movie. On the strength of Dr. Zhivago, right now I'm blackballing this motherfucker. Yeah. Well, and he all, and he did his last big his last big splash was a passage to India, which was hmm. in 1984. Um, but Dr. Zhivago, yeah, that was that's a movie that I I didn't watch forever and. It's like over three hours long and mm-hmm. everything. And I popped it in one day and I just, I was like, is, this is what we're considering. Oh, I'm, I missed it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> no, it went right by me. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that, I mean, that's a, that's a solid track record. I'm missing a few probably that he's considered great for. Those are the, those are the main ones. Mm-hmm. Those two huge ones in there. But um I don't know. I guess it's some of these that may have not have endured as far as like the conversation. Brief sure. encounter, great expectations. Everybody's done a great expectations now. There's like a million great expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Everybody's got one. Right. You'll well, get a great expectation. Well, and I was, <laughs> as I was writing down directors and everything, I even tried out Alfonso Cuaron. Uh-huh. And he was like, he's got a great yeah. expectation. <laughs> yes, yes and, he does. The one Barrett likes. That's right. That's right. So. David Lean, I think, is worth talking about. It's just that maybe, possibly, over time, there's really only two movies. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe three. I'll, I'll include Zhivago because there's so many people who hold that in high esteem. For reasons I do not understand. Uh, but, you know, he's got three heavy hitters. Lawrence right of now. Arabia is fantastic. Oh, Lawrence of Arabia is so good. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, you guys have got other classics? I've got yeah. other. I've got several. I've got several, too. Go Frank Capra we got to talk yeah, about. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, who I... Famously couldn't remember his name on the trivia showdown, <laughs> even though Arsenic and Old Lace, I've seen it like 40 times. Mm-hmm. We, I was saved after because Leonard Malton was telling, agreeing with me that it doesn't feel like a Capra movie. Right. Because when you think Frank Capra, most people think it's a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he made several classics that made plenty of money and were beloved. So I think he's got to be in the discussion. Frank Capra, uh, we've talked about him a few times. There was one... Uh, I don't remember what the topic was. What it was like the greatest runs in history. And Capra had one because it was just at one after another. Yeah. Movies you've heard and you still watch and whatever, but uh, nominated six times. He's won three times. Uh, his first nomination was for Lady for a Day, which I've never heard of. Me neither. But then it happened one night. Mm-hmm. Mr. Deeds goes to town. You can't take it with you. He won for those, but then the movies he's really known for, he didn't win. He for? didn't. He didn't get. He didn't uh, win for Miss, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. It's a Wonderful Life. Actually, he didn't even get nominated for It's a Wonderful Life. Wow. No Christmas movies are. No, wait a minute. He hard. did. He did. Really? He did. He did. But then there's two movies he didn't get nominated for: is Meet John Doe hmm. and uh, Arsenic and Old Lace. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Capra may have uh, gotten a little derailed there in the 40s because he was doing those propaganda World War II yeah. movies for a while there. Uh, and I think that that may have sidetracked him a little bit. Although I think uh, "It's a Wonderful Life" came out after World War II. It's forty six. Uh, that sounds forty six. Forty six. 
So that I don't think the war was over. No, forty five is when it ended, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I think so I think I, he he did come out with he came out with it. It seems like he does taper off after World War Two though. Uh, but man, what a hell of a run he had there. Yep. He still continued to make movies after that, but nothing nearly as big and, and as popular as those. Yeah, but he's got to be a consideration. Yeah. I would put him in the on deck circle, but it's going to be a little crowded there here yeah. in a couple mm-hmm. minutes. <laughs> yeah. You got, you got another one? Well, I mean, how familiar are you guys with like the Truffaut and the uh, the French cinema and Fellini? And, well, it's well like and here's the, the thing. that This is where we're going to have our, our biggest controversy, I think, mm-hmm. among the, the people who are true cinema files who may possibly listen to the show mm-hmm. because i'm i'm not totally familiar like jean-luc godard i've seen like one movie i saw breathless mm-hmm. uh Truffaut, i'm don't i haven't seen jules and jim i've seen the 400 blows though i think okay um so i've seen i've seen a couple of his greatest and then uh you said fellini which i think i've only seen eight and a half mm-hmm uh, I named some of those. I, I wrote out a lot of those, and I was like, "Man, I'm just not coming up with a lot of movies I've heard of that should be like hitting. You know, should be immediate. Like, right. oh my god, this these well, guys are amazing. Just like with the bracket, let's remind the listeners again: this is our Mount Rushmore, right. the three of us. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't, I can hold up on zero fingers how much I know about the <laughs> French New Wave <laughs> stuff. I zero, so it's going to be hard to get my vote just because I don't know. Mm-hmm. Even so, I, I don't know if they have the body of work that a Hitchcock and Spielberg have. Some of these directors may actually be technically better than mm-hmm. some of these that we're going to end up putting up on there or whatever. But they never came out with something that was like had that kind of cultural it impact kind of now they had the huge impact that we don't really see today mm-hmm. they were sort of what the that whole auteur theory and everything came out around that time where directors were considered the author of mm-hmm. the film and that's where like in like it really influenced american cinema in the 70s so like a lot of the directors were getting to do whatever they wanted and they didn't have to worry about the studios as much as they do today so on and forth that's where their impact is felt mm-hmm but as far as the movies they made, we don't really like come back and refer to like tons of them. Right. So that's what I'm trying to get at. I got you. Um, two controversial picks, okay. uh, but would definitely have the breadth. Roman Polanski and Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I almost said something at the start of this specifically about Polanski. And then when I was thinking it, I was reminded Woody Allen's in the same kind of boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think. I don't know. At least in Polanski's case, I'm. I am 99.9% sure he did what everybody says he did. And well, that he otherwise he wouldn't still be. <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to say this, though. Polanski, as much as we hold a couple of his movies in high regard, he still doesn't have, I don't think he has a huge like list of movies here. Uh, Chinatown is obviously classic. Right. Uh, and Rosemary's Baby is hold, held in high esteem. Mm-hmm. And... Some may hold the pianist in high esteem. I I thought it was good. Right. I mean, it's it's certainly one of his you know one of the movies you have to mention. But I was going through his list and I could only come up with six movies that I would really consider. You know, so he's got Tess. He was nominated for mm-hmm. Tess. Um, he was nominated three times. One win for the pianist of all movies. Yeah. Chinatown, Tess, the pianist, and then he has Rosemary's Baby, The Ghost Rider, which I really love. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and uh, Frantic, mm-hmm. which is uh, Harrison Ford uh, looking for his wife, yeah. uh, <laughs> leading to a bare naked ladies uh, lyric. Definitely, uh, all the movies that you look at for Polanski after he's been exiled, except for The Pianist, are either 
well, I mean the Ghost Rider, I guess too, mm-hmm. uh, are either they're minor or they just I don't know. It's uh, he doesn't have a lot of heavy hitters, and that's a good point. List. Well, and see to to counter that, I think Woody Allen does have a lot of heavy hitting movies, mm-hmm. so, but the problem is he's a production machine, so yeah. he's got a lot of forgettable ones too. Yeah. So his OBP, I'm gonna have to come up for something that that stands for, <laughs> uh, would be like around 50, 60 percent, maybe, maybe. 70. It's probably true. He's been and, and, man. I I wonder sometimes is Woody Allen a great director? His, yeah. His, oh yeah. He's got a couple where he's shown he's shown the flair behind the camera, but most of his movies are script driven. Yes. Like he doesn't have Manhattan is obviously a beautiful director work. Right. And so is Matchpoint, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's him exercising muscles that he doesn't usually. Most of the time, though, I think he's just putting the camera down and he's letting people talk. And, I can see that, and and maybe maybe I'm I'm not really I don't looking know. at it. I don't know, man. Like I just saw To Rome with Love, uh, forgettable movie overall, uh, but it's got some really nice shots in it, which w- was it was interesting to me mm-hmm. because like he's actually uh, he works right around Match Point when he went into this whole European phase. Mm-hmm. He started working with close ups a lot more mm-hmm. uh, because normally it was just wide shots and everything, but with like when he was filming Scarlett Johansson in particular. It, he would get like right up. Well, in there. I would too. Exactly, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, but it was a different type of Woody Allen. So mm-hmm. I mean, but he he does have you know something like Manhattan, Annie Hall, Crimes and Misdemeanors, um, you know, Match Point. His Top Gear is one of the best Top Gears ever. It, it is interesting. I mean, I have to think about it a lot because you know, yeah, he he does show flair mm-hmm. like that. He if he did this. If he took time between movies and did this all the yeah. time, it would he would have an amazing amount of work. I think. I think just the guy just likes. I just feel like mm-hmm. for every Manhattan, there's a small time crooks, mm-hmm. or, or you know what I mean. Yeah, for every crimes else. and misdemeanors, there's a celebrity. <laughs> yeah, Hollywood ending. Yeah, and I'm just that one where Scarlett Johansson's like some kind of writer, and there's like magic and a scoop. ghost scoop. Scoop. Yeah, not a fan. But then you got Mighty Aphrodite. There's just so much variety to this guy, even though. He has a style, obviously, mm-hmm. but, it's but you're making like, the Babe Ruth argument. Yeah, he strikes out every other at bat, but every other at bat is a big home run. But would you put Babe Ruth on a, on a baseball hall of uh, Mount Rushmore? <laughs> we definitely would. I yeah. think we definitely would. The, the uh, Woody Allen's been nominated seven times as director, and of course, countless times as writer. I think he's going to be known more as a writer than a director whenever really? when all is said and done. Uh, certainly not an actor <laughs> no uh nominated seven times for annie hall interiors broadway danny rose hannah and her sisters crimes and misdemeanors bullets over broadway and midnight in paris those are the oh, seven he's man, been nominated good, for he he uh didn't get nominated for manhattan stardust memories zelig the purple rose of cairo manhattan murder mystery and match point which are the other movies i just randomly assigned mm-hmm. as far as his big ones there's others obviously that's the thing Alan has a lot of minor stuff that is good. How much of a cultural impact has he had? A ton. Like, as far as, I think, yeah, huge amount mm-hmm. of, of impact. Um, again, I just wonder how many people emulate his style as far as director is concerned. I think there's no doubt, writing-wise... There's I, he might be second to none as mm-hmm. far as writing is concerned, but it, I don't know. It, I, you can make a, a case that he's copying the the French directors and the European influences Bergman. and stuff like that. Yeah, Bergman, mm. um, and so he's kind of almost like a Tarantino esque 
uh, adopter of, of other styles and putting it into his own. I think he's he's unique in that. And we're, we've talked before about Annie Hall and its use of like dream sequences and things like that that he typically doesn't do. And then putting like the Greek chorus and Mighty Aphrodite. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like uh, he just, I really think he transcends when he knocks it out of the park, which is not often. A lot of, I mean, <laughs> and and he, I've read some parts of uh, about Woody Allen and you know I don't think he really cares whether or not it's a huge hit or not mm-hmm. he doesn't have very many huge hits on his list either so as far as when I'm trying to get to cultural impact on this it's not so much that how much he's influenced other people it's more about what are the movies that we still talk about that he does Annie Hall mm-hmm and occasionally people come up with some lines for other movies. It seems like it's just well, I mean, it, Manhattan. Yeah. Manhattan is in there, but I'm just saying it's, I mean, even Manhattan as good as it is, there's not a lot of people who are bringing up Manhattan. No, yeah, I guess. see what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, Woody Allen is an interesting one. I think it is definitely the most controversial pick out of all of the ones who have that kind of body of work. And he's got a great Mount Rushmore face. He does. You would know exactly who the fuck that is. Mm-hmm. But also some baggage. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and do we want to put that person on our Mount Rushmore? But what if you put him in the Jefferson spot where he's like, <laughs> he's in the middle, he's tucked away, so it's, he's not like super yeah, there. Yeah, but if that, we were doing the stand-up comedians Mount Rushmore, would we put Bill Cosby up there? Uh, the question uh, is if bill cosby had already been put on a mount would, Rushmore, we, take him down? would we take him down we would just uh, re-chisel until he became anthony bourdain yeah yeah <laughs> there you go <laughs> i don't know why i went that direction well okay just to save face we got to talk about kurosawa a little bit yep mm-hmm. that was another one um otherwise we, we will we'll never hear the end of it mm-hmm. uh, now i was shown rashomon in school mm-hmm. in college Loved it. Uh, I've seen The Seven Samurai. I have not seen all of his work, uh, but there's there's like there's like Oscar Oscar Orson Welles level like invention going on here in the way films are made. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the reason Rashomon gets shown to you in college is because it does that perspective sh- skewing thing where every new person who tells the story of the events tells it slightly differently because of their perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the point we were trying. It was a communications class, actually. We were, <laughs> the main point she was trying to make is that two people on the same street corner can watch the same car accident and give police completely different stories. Um, and then she showed us this movie. She must have just been a Kurosawa fan, maybe. I don't know. But uh, what do you guys think? Well, that... And here's an, here's one that is, I mean, I have I, I saw nearly all of his movies uh, when the Belcourt ran his retrospective. Awesome. Uh, I missed I missed a couple, but um, Akira Kurosawa has a lot of huge hits. I mean, a huge like like heavy hitter type movies on his on his resume. You mentioned Rashomon. Uh, Ikiru is one. The Seven Samurai, of course, is one of his all time. The Hidden Fortress, who George Lucas always refers back to, mm-hmm. is uh, sort of inspiring uh, Star Wars. Mm. Uh, I think mainly, mainly C three PO and R two D two type stuff. Not really the whole, you know, universe or anything. Um, and uh, Yojimbo, and then uh, a movie. One of his last ones uh, was uh, it's called Ron. That was the, that was his only nomination. That just goes to show like how long uh, the Academy just you know didn't pay attention mm-hmm. to his work for a long time. I think Kurosawa has got so many heavy hitters in this, and I haven't even mentioned some of the good ones that I saw 
um i live in fear is another good one there's a lot of like really good movies on his list that i don't I didn't include because i didn't think a lot of people know them mm. uh but he's got uh, several readily available people off the street know that know that at least the title of the yeah. movie well yeah. yeah but how much cultural impact i again cultural impact influential wise mm-hmm. but how many Americans have seen, you know, a good bit of Kurosawa films? Not many. Yeah. But I wouldn't I wouldn't think Woody Allen has much better a percentage, if I'm being honest. Oh, really? If I'm being honest, like Joe Schmo, who goes to the summer box office three, time, versus three times a summer, <laughs> yeah. is, is probably never seen a Woody Allen movie. Really? I don't. I doubt it. Wow. Yeah. Why would they? They're, you if think they're, by it, accident. There's so many of them. <laughs> on accident. He would just. Run, oh, run dang! Back. I accidentally saw Woody Allen. Film. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I agree with you. I think Curse. You could go out, man, on the street interviews, and very few are going to probably know who Kurosawa is or have mm-hmm. seen his films. Um, but I, I feel like I feel like it's probably the same with Orson Welles. Um, and you know, the the influence is still there. Mm-hmm. Like you can't say nobody else would have eventually done it. But we don't get movies like Courage Under Fire if we don't have Rashomon. Yeah. And and plenty of directors modernly have, have skewed that whole perspective thing and played with it. But he was the first notable feature-length film director to really give us that experience and kind of fuck with the audience a little bit. And that has, that has to count for something. Again, we're talking cultural impact versus like film school impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody that goes to film school knows Woody Allen and Kurosawa and has probably seen all their movies. Mm-hmm. Let's see. There's a there's a couple other classic directors here. Uh, one is John Ford, who mm-hmm. I think that um, this is I think when Spielberg. I can't rich, remember which movie it wasn't was. he the coward that shot. Uh, what's his name in the back? The man, yeah, the man who shot Liberty Valance. He did that. No, uh, I mean uh, the assassination of. No, it was Robert Ford. Jesse wasn't it? James. Oh, by the coward, I see what you're saying. Somebody Ford. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, he has a movie called The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance too. So I was like, "That's what you're talking about." Um, no, it was uh, it was uh, Orson Welles who uh, had his crew watch Stagecoach, or he watched Stagecoach over and over. Where was it? Spielberg? I can't remember where it was. I didn't hear that. Somebody, one of those directors, watched that movie over and over and over again to sort of uh, learn how to do suspense and action and. Hmm. And that type of stuff. Spielberg may may have done it, but it may have been Orson Welles who watched Stagecoach over and over and over again before he did Citizen Kane. Hmm. And I don't know why, because Citizen Kane doesn't really have Stagecoach type stuff in it. But, <laughs> doesn't really uh, have action. Yeah. John Ford was nominated five times. He won four times. Wow. And there was a he won back-to-back one year, uh, two years, and then he skipped a year and won again the next year. Uh, he won for the informer stagecoach. Then, uh, he didn't win for how green was my Valley, but that beat citizen Kane right, for best yeah. picture. Uh, and then, uh, he won for the grapes of wrath and the quiet man. And then you have how the West is won, the man who shot Liberty Valance and the searchers mm-hmm. are all movies on John Ford's list. Uh, tremendous, uh, record there for yeah. swinging for the fences. Yeah. Um, again, uh, Ford has a huge amount of influence on, a lot of things that we see, a lot of directors who are still working and all that. Yeah. But what movies do we still talk about with John Ford? Right. How Green Was My Valley? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That uh, goes back to that Frasier episode where he wants to watch How Green Is My Valley, but the video store only has one copy and the lady had overheard him asking about it and went and grabbed it before he could. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm <laughs> I'm completely wrong. How Green Was My Valley, he did win. Um, what did he not win for? He didn't win for Stagecoach. 
That was the one. Okay, oh, so really? Stagecoach, he didn't win for. Interesting. Uh, it was How Green Was My Valley he won for. But he's won four times, and he had, uh, let's see, one for The Quiet Man. He won for How Green Was My Valley. He won for Great's Wrath. Those were the back-to-back ones. And, uh, and he won for The Informer. Uh, but yeah, another, <laughs> and, and, yeah, exactly. Let's bring up that. Bum bum Let's bring Snow. up bring up that cultural sweetheart here in the middle of the movie. I bet you more people know that song than have seen Kurosawa. Probably right. You're probably right. Snow's in four. Let's go to see Batman versus Superman. Another guy that we would be remiss not to mention is Billy Wilder. Mm-hmm. Ah. Um, Billy Wilder, eight nominations, two wins. Uh, he won for The Lost Weekend and The Apartment. Uh, nominated for Double Indemnity, mm-hmm. uh, Sunset Boulevard, Stalag 17, Sabrina, Witness for the Prosecution, Some Like It Hot, and uh, other movies that he's done that you may have heard of, The Fortune Cookie, The Spirit of St. Louis, and The Seven-Year Itch. Wow. Oh, nice. That is a... That is a robust catalog. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I bet you people who have heard of half those movies wouldn't even be able to tell you the director's you're name. You're probably right. Uh, but I think that's more. I think they are more talked about his body of work than John Ford's that we just went mm-hmm. through. I think yeah. those m- movies are still more culturally relevant today. Between yeah. Sunset Boulevard and uh, Seven Year Itch mm-hmm. alone, like those are two powerhouses. Yeah, some like it hot and the apartment. The apartment mm-hmm. won Best Picture um they i mean those are some uh, tremendous <laughs> amount of hits and critical darlings and everything like that uh when i went through billy wilder i was like man this guy has a real shot mm-hmm. i mean even though we don't i mean look at some of these movies that still we still talk about yeah and uh, and then there's some we don't but i mean to think that back in the day these were you know these were movies that people talked about mm-hmm. so um yeah billy wilder He's got a huge, uh, huge That's resume. Good. That's good. I'm, I'm glad we're repping the back in the day yeah, so yeah. well because I really think that would have been our shortcoming like a year and a half ago if we tried to do this. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, well, just for length of career, I don't think he's going to win purely on blood work, but Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he started with what was the first directing? It's one of his classic. Play Westerns. Misty for me, I think, was his first. Movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, his first movies play Misty for me, then High Plains Drifter. That's the one yeah. I'm thinking of, High Plains Drifter. Uh, but go ahead, and you're looking at it. Rattle off some of the big hitters he's done. Uh, so you have uh, The Outlaw Josie Wells. Uh, you have, um, and then for a while, I mean, the his biggest movie, and I don't think any even Dirty Harry fans, well, Sudden Impact is mm-hmm. Sudden Impact is definitely up there on there. Uh, some people love Heartbreak Ridge. I, I, I thought that was <laughs> I love Heartbreak Ridge. Thought that was an enjoyable movie. It smells um, like a Ben Gay factory his, around here. Yeah, his first his first big like Academy thing was an Unforgiven. Right. Uh, a lot of a lot of people love A Perfect World. That's another movie I haven't seen that in forever. I but I remember I remember I liked it a lot. Um, and then he had that weird period there where he's like Bridges of Madison County and Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil and all that and Absolute Power and True Crime and what do you think work. of Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil? <laughs> oh man, yeah, I, no, 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 yeah. no to that movie. No. I just think I like Spacey's performance in that. Well, it, it's hard not to like Spacey yeah. in anything though. Uh, <laughs> then he started this huge sort of renaissance where it seemed like he was always in the in the picture as far as Academy. It was a Mystic River, yeah, Million Dollar Baby, yeah. Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima, uh, Changeling, which I really love, Grand Torino, which I is a great Grand movie. Yeah. 
Um, and then there's a couple here, Invictus Hereafter and Jay Edgar, which yeah. I don't like, um, uh, Jersey Boys, and then American Sniper yeah. is another big one. And Sully, which is an interesting movie, to say the least. It's so weird. Anyone could literally have directed that when I watched that <laughs> Yeah. Movie. You know what I mean? Right. Um, it could be, you know... Uh, Ron Howard could do it. Well, it could be Zemeckis. Yeah. It could be... I mean, there's like five directors, it feels like, but it doesn't feel like a Spielberg movie. Tremendous. I mean, a... Eastwood movie. Yeah, yeah. It does, I mean, it, it could be... Yeah, you're right. Anybody could have done that. And plus, oh, man, I hate I hate the fact that they made this movie so soon after all the events. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. And, and like, it was easily verifiable as they like, just added some bullshit in yeah. that movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it was hard for me to... I mean, it's enjoyable. Like, if they could have just not called it Sully and changed... <laughs> And changed like what happened and everything. It would have been a fine movie. Yeah, Surely. Yeah, exactly. Surely. Or Surly. Surly. Ah, the guy from the nut job. Um he's uh Eastwood's been nominated four times. He's won twice. Million dollar baby and unforgiven. Um Man, I was watching Mystic River again like five, six days ago. Mm-hmm. It's so rich. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. It I mean, is. it's it's a depressing movie. It's not a movie you feel happy watching, but it's just got layers, man. That's, that's, imagine if you were to get all the Dennis Lehane books and just read them all <laughs> back and forth. Mm-hmm. You, would, you would probably just like, you know. My wife has. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, How yeah. is Candy a chippy chipper person? I don't know, man. <laughs> I guess she spaces it out. Yeah. yeah this guy's just got to have so much pain. Yeah. All he writes is about his pain. <laughs> oh, my God. And Boston. Yeah. yeah. Boston, Boston pain. Boston pain. Yeah. Um, Can I throw out one more? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jimmy Cameron. Where do yeah. we where do we go here? Because Cameron is that the is guy a, from Good Times? Yeah, exactly. Cameron's a guy a lot like Kubrick. Yep. I'm uh, I'm gonna nix Cameron. Really? I'll, because I'll, of Avatar Alone? I'll let you punch me in the face. It, well, because of Avatar Alone, but also Yes, because of Avatar. Terminator, alone. Terminator Two, Aliens, True Lies. I mean, the, the guy, Abyss, the Abyss. The, he's got a good but record. Then you're done, right? Yeah, you're done. Yeah. Well, yeah. you've also got Avatar Two, Avatar Three, <laughs> Avatar Four. Well, Avatar and five. this is a man. Now, granted, he's probably a shill, but said Terminator Genesis was the best Terminator yet. Yeah. Now he's getting actively involved in bringing. Ten- Did you see they hired Tim Miller, Deadpool's director, to do the new Terminator movie, Terminator Six? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh. Anyway, um, yeah, because of Avatar alone, it sinks the and rest Titanic of too. I mean, you Titanic, Titanic is a visual spectacular achievement. That's mm-hmm. the thing, though. That, I mean, that's the problem with Cameron. He has the exact same problem as Kubrick, only even more of a problem than Kubrick does, because he just does nothing for years and years and years. Right. Like he took a longer period of time between Titanic and Avatar than I think Kubrick did in any part of his career. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah, and uh, it might be. Well, was it the exact same amount? Of time? It was 98, 97, 98. 97 was Titanic. Avatar was 2009. 2009. So that's the exact yeah. amount of period of time mm-hmm. that Kubrick took between Full Metal Jacket and, and Eyes Wide Shut. Shut. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's just got few and far between. And then once you start looking at the movies, I think Terminator, Terminator two and, uh, aliens are definite Mm -hmm. like classics. Mm -hmm. Abyss is hard to really sell for some people. Uh, True lies is, is, I don't know, kind of dated. It's kind of dated and 35 (laughs) minutes too long. Yeah. 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 Uh, Titanic is uh, another one you're going to split a lot of people down the yeah. middle on, and Avatar is another one that splits people down the middle. Yeah. Although, as far as cultural hits and everything, you can't really deny that almost everything he comes out with uh, is instant. I, I would not it's deny an that. Instant huge hit. 
and he's worth being in the conversation. Yeah, no, for real. I just don't know if he's got the body of work. Well, and I think we have to also have to pay him a little bit of respect for some of the stuff he's done t- technologically. Oh, yeah. In terms of pushing the, the boundaries of what can and can't be done in film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's admirable. Mm-hmm. This guy seems like generally an ass. <laughs> like in real life, I don't think I would like him one bit. Uh, but, you know, yeah, you're right. Almost all his movies make a lot of money and everybody loves them. Okay, so there, I guess there's a couple more I want to throw out. I don't know if they have chances of winning, but I do want to mention them. Ridley Scott mm-hmm. would say he has seven movies I'd bring up. Now, a couple of these, some people are not, they're not going to, but he's gotten three nominations. Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, and Black Hawk Down are his nominations. Uh, but then he, the movies he's known for, Alien, Blade Runner, and The Martian, these movies are movies that he did not get nominated for. Uh, and Matchstick Men, which is another movie that I love. <laughs> Ridley one. Scott is like Woody Allen. He sh- makes a movie almost every year. Yep. And so he's got a lot of misses. And yeah. And he's got a lot of he's got a lot of hits for sure. A lot of misses. He's got a really varied career too. I mean, think mm-hmm. about Thelma and Louise versus Alien. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. that's uh, that's oh yeah, a chasm. Yeah. Well, especially considering you know how well, I guess both of those movies are pretty good feminist movies, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you would call Ripley's character arc like a pro-female. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There you go. That's a good time. And I know Thelma and Louise was a big hit with the ladies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brad Pitt, man. <laughs> well, I think it had to do with female empowerment a little bit. It, too. Well, it was, that was the main thing. But Brad Pitt, <laughs> Brad Pitt, like that's all I could freaking hear about after that movie came out. Oh was, yeah, man, that was and I, put him I on think the map. I think I think if I had been old enough to watch that movie, I would have uh, I would have been also been in love with Brad Pitt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thelma and Louise is such a good movie, man. When she comes out of that bar, I think it's Susan Sarandon that comes out and and just blows dude away. Mm-hmm. That's been like hitting on him. Of course, he's he's getting handsy. Well, and, like, he, she. But she blows up his truck. I thought she shot him. No, she blows up his truck. Oh. Like, it's like a, it's a gas truck or something like she that. She took a Louisville slug and both headlights. <laughs> yes, indeed. But it's a, it's a very good movie. Yeah. Um, but really, I just realized that song is Thelma Louise the song. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's, I'm okay with that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and then, I mean, there's others that, I mean, we could mention, but they have... That same, they either have the same problem as Nolan and all these guys who've been only doing it for 15, 20 years. Or they have too many misses. Uh, or they have too many misses. Like Rob Reiner needs to be in the conversation. Yeah. Mm, Danny I wanted, Boyle. I wanted to bring up, um, and, and this would be, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think I want to come up with a comparison. Uh, Hal Ashby is a guy that uh, had a tremendous period of work. He died in the 80s, though. Mm. And I wonder if Hal Ashby would have continued to make great movies well into, you know, the nineties and everything like that. Uh, he made coming home. That was his one nomination, but he made Harold and Maude, the last detail shampoo bound for glory and being there Mm, all are, all are, you know, uh, heavy hitters. He also made a movie called the slugger's wife, which I talked about in brief. It's just one of the worst baseball movies I've ever seen (laughs) in my life. Uh, and maybe it's because it's uh, j- just like uh, Trouble with the Curve. It's about the Atlanta Braves, and and they're you know <laughs> too close. They're it's just, too sensitive. They're just you know I don't know. They're just shitty movies. Um, but uh, but Hal Ashby is a guy that I don't think very many people it, it doesn't roll off the tongue because he's not you know he's not with us anymore. He he died way back in the eighties, and uh, but he's got a a pretty good roster there. You know what would be kind of awesome, even though we're not going to do it, and we shouldn't. But if we did like the the Mount Rushmore is Hitchcock, 
Spielberg, I don't know, Coppola, and John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I think at least um, cult influence and filmmaking influence, John Carpenter would be in the conversation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just that a lot of his movies just aren't very good. Bats. <laughs> like Ghosts of Mars. It's not bats, it's vampires. 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 Oh, that's the one with... Um, James, James Woods. We haven't even gotten to the Coen brothers yet. Oh, oh yeah. now there's a modern director, I think, that w- maybe would have a shot. Now, mm-hmm. the only problem is, do we do half of each of their faces to make up one face? Because we can't have five no, faces. No, you, com- you would have an amalgamation of both faces. <laughs> okay. All right. I would be... Well, or I'm, or you could just put them like Siamese twin style on the... Nobody on, knows what they look like anyway. <laughs> nobody's going to notice. You're probably right. Uh, Coen Brothers have a great They have a, a huge amount of movies that people still refer to. I mean, um, there's not one major critic that doesn't cite Blood Simple. That was their first major uh, movie. But then they... Um, I, think, I think three comedies in particular like maybe weren't huge hits, but... They're, I mean, people quote them constantly, and that's Raising Arizona, Big Lebowski, and Burn After Reading. Their mm-hmm. uh, their Oscar winners are like Fargo and No Country for Old Men. Yeah, um, they have a lot of movies that like we love in this room, but people on the outside don't like Hudsucker Proxy. Mm-hmm. Um, Barton Fink is another movie that's I think that's a it's that's a, a weird polarizing yeah. movie for a lot of people. Miller's Crossing as well. And uh, I'm trying to find, oh, brother, where are thou? People, yeah. that now that's their biggest hit, I believe. I think monetarily, yes. Maybe, maybe no country. I don't know. Um, oh, brother, where are thou? Definitely one of their biggest, uh, one of their biggest hits. Um, and uh, and then there's stuff that even. I mean, I know that a lot of people don't like a serious man, but I love that movie. Oh yeah, I, I was really watching that. Uh, um, um, oh no, I was watching the man who wasn't there last night. Yeah, yeah, that was and on. I saw talk that. about a quiet fucking movie, yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's black and white, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Billy takes, Bob Thornton is whispering his narration essentially yeah, all the yeah, way yeah. through it. Yeah, he's got that moment where because he's a barber and he's kind of hearing, he never says shit. He doesn't mm-hmm. say anything, and it, like he's just a simple dude, the straightforward. He looks at the hair and he's like, you know, it's kind of weird. We take off like a part of the human uh, condition. We, we, we yeah. have this hair. And the guy's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. He's like, oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, you know, and True Grit might be their biggest hit. I didn't I didn't realize. Oh, I forgot about I didn't that. realize. And I have too. And that's the that's thing. Like mm-hmm. True Grit. Uh, it's really weird good. That they make it, yeah, it's good. It made, they made a remake. It's kind of interesting that they, they delved into that. Inside Lewin Davis is polarizing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, a lot of people love, 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 love that movie. Um, and Talbot Cruelty is probably the one that most people can agree on not liking. Yeah, yeah. and a lot of people don't like the Lady Killers, too. And that's, I like that. uh, I, I like the Lady Killers. But, uh, man, the Coen brothers... Definitely have a mm-hmm. solid, solid body. I w- do you think they have the best case of outside of Spielberg of working directors mod- or modern best directors? I mean, I'm, I'm going to put my nuts on the table right now and say that I think of the modern directors that Fincher would get my vote. Wow, Man. those are some unexpected nuts. <laughs> that is some balls. <laughs> I mean, um, between but Zodiac, compared Social again, Network, compared to the Coen Brothers, I would give it to the Coen Brothers before uh, him. I'd give it to Nolan before. We him. can't put two directors though. We're just gonna mesh it, them together. Well, I don't think it works. Well, the DGA doesn't either. They call it Joel Cohen, and that's it. So we'll put it. We'll make it Joel Cohen. Just yeah. Like yeah. The DGA. Right. Yeah. Is it Ethan that always gets a writing credit? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But they're both they're both directors, and it would be stupid just because they are two people. We can't. put It's them two on. people. You can't you put can, t- it's you four can, faces. You can put it on there like a hydra on the 
It'll be three giant stone heads and two small stone heads. Gonna have to do it, man. All right, so are we done throwing out the nominations? Because I've got like our our two locks, and I've got our on deck that we can vote on. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, I think so. I mean, there's a obviously there's a few others, but I, I just don't think there's any way that some of these other guys that I've I've written stuff down for are gonna surpass. We didn't mention um, Robert Altman. Mm-mm. Altman is another guy. Uh, five nominations had a huge period of time there where it was just like everything he did. Mash, Nashville, The Player, Shortcuts, Gosford Parker, all of his nominations. But then after his five movies there, there's two movies that I could really cite as they people consider it all the time. McCabe, Mrs. Miller, and Long Goodbye are the other ones. And then after that, there's a lot of like, there's either shit or mm-hmm. there's just, you know, shortcuts, pret a shortcuts. You take that back. <laughs> you short, like shortcuts? Short, everybody loves fucking shortcuts. I, like shortcuts. I didn't like shortcuts. It's like got an 8.0 on IMDb really? or something like I'm that. I'm willing to be wrong. Uh, I no, I no shortcuts is certainly not the player or anything like that, but, uh, he got nominated for shortcuts. And, Did he really? Yeah, and uh, and uh, I was surprised too when I looked at the IMDb how high of a score it had because I remember people not liking it that much. I I very much enjoyed shortcuts. Now the after the movie after that, Pret a Porte, the red or oh, ready yeah, to wear. Terrible. That's a shitty movie. Oh yeah, I didn't like Gosford Park. I don't. I didn't think mm, that was a really. I didn't good... either. And then I watched it again and I love it. Now. Oh really? Yeah, love Gosford. That's Park. what happened with me in that new U two song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Have you started liking it anymore? I've only heard it once. Oh. Hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, okay. I think that I think that's a good round of uh, of people. And if we've missed somebody, goddamn, we've definitely missed some people. And obviously, we didn't talk about the female directors too that come to mind, or like Amy Heckerling and, and, and Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, but even those Penny Marshall, and, and, mm. and you can you can blame Hollywood it, itself a lot of times on those. They they have a couple of big ones, mm-hmm. and then a lot of like you know minor ones right. after that. Jodie Foster. Yeah, Jodie Foster. Mm-hmm. And it's probably because, you know, it's probably because... Hollywood's they, they a bunch of dickhead men that don't want to hire women. Yeah, yeah. white men, too. If, if they give Catherine Bigelow the same chance that, you know, uh, fucking Brett Ratner had, yeah. then we'd, we'd be talking about how amazing X-Men The Last Stand is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so lock number one is... Alfred Hitchcock. Uh huh. Great face. Great I see face. him in Washington's spot. Okay. Is that all the far left? Far left. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like. He needs to be on one of the ends. Yeah. So we in, get that almost in profile. profile. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would say Spielberg is where Lincoln is on the far Second right. Fr- oh, on the far mm-hmm. far right. Yeah. And right. so, do we put Spielberg with the beard or without the beard? It's got to be with the beard. Right? Yeah. He's had the beard the whole time. Yeah. So that's a nice little bit of synchronicity with Abraham Lincoln in the beard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so here's our kind of middle ground here. We got Frank Capra. We got Stanley Kubrick. We got Marty Scorsese. We got Woody Allen. I put Woody Allen on there. Um, of course you did. Uh, we got the Coen brothers. We got Kurosawa. And I put Fincher and Nolan in there. I guess we could probably take them out, even though I really would make a case for Fincher. Okay. okay. All right. Well, why don't we just go around and vote for the third spot? And the third spot? See how long it takes us. Okay, what's your third spot? Capra. Yours is Capra. Ooh, yeah. I, I think it would be hard to, to deny Capra on this with as many of the movies we still talk about today and that huge run he had there. Mm-hmm. So what, how are we, how, how are we, am I just agreeing and saying, yes, we should put Capra? Do we all agree, or two out of the three of us have to agree that he deserves the but third spot? But I think spot. it doesn't have to be cut and dry like the bracket. Mm-hmm. Like if you had for some reason you really didn't want Capra to get in, mm-hmm. 
I think you could we could pause and let you make an argument. I think Capra. I guess that's the earliest one. Uh, I guess Hitchcock was in the late fifties, mid fifties. To well, that's when most of his work what we know is. Mm-hmm. But he started way back when it was like silent films. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it it was. Uh, I think uh, I'm trying to remember, but he was way back in the thirties when he first started coming out with talkies and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. I think he has more than the stuff that's even that we know, like. So, see, I think he started working with the silent films. I'm I don't. Sure. I don't think he can deny Capra. I think Frank Capra has to be on on the Mount Rushmore. All right. So now we're battling for the fourth spot. It's going to mm-hmm. be tough. I got. I got to put Stanley Kubrick in there. Mm. I mean, can you imagine a ra- Mount Rushmore without Stanley Kubrick? I guess maybe. You well, could. I could. Yeah. But um, other ones, uh, Scorsese really has a good case. Uh, Woody Allen, Coen Brothers, Kurosawa. Yeah, for me, it's it's between Scorsese and the Coen Brothers. Mm. Oh, really? Uh, and I think the Coen Brothers, with as as varied of a career as they had, they've they've had, and how many movies that are box office hits, how many cultural impact movies they have, how many Oscar winners they have, all these type of things, you, it'd be impossible for me to deny the Coen Brothers. On mm. this, I feel like they deserve that fourth spot. Mm. What do you think, Jeremy? I, I'm not lying when I say that Kubrick, Kurosawa, and the Coen Brothers are all pretty equal for me. Mm-hmm. But I still think, despite his impact, that Kurosawa's films are a little too not mainstream. Mm-hmm. And I think the Coen Brothers have more than Kubrick does. Cohen Brothers. Cohen Brothers. All right. Five faces. The first time we, we fucked choose, it up. The first time. The first time we got four choices. You had one job, Bear Five. Jeremy and Chris. You know what? <laughs> you know what? No, no, your outrage is bullshit. I'm going to call you out on this. Five faces. Who gives a fuck? Five faces. Who this gives a shit? Four faces. Okay, on... so the Cohen Brothers. We should just ignore all the movies they've made because there's because there's two people. I think so. Then, well, because the so rest then, of them so are then singular. we should have never talked about them then. There should have been no discussion about the fucking Coen brothers, if that's the case. Those movies didn't exist. They're John Calipari in the fucking Final yes, Four. Yes, we're vacating their <laughs> I honestly think we should just literally take one right down the middle, Joel's the right side of Joel's face and the left side of Ethan's yes. face. All right, all right. Mash them together. And make them a two-face. And it'll, it'll look like a two-face, but at least Bear will be happy. We won't be setting off any five-faces alarms all out right. there. And, uh, I agree. I like that. Whatever Dakota I, I, I think, I think Scorsese deserves to have like hands massaging somebody's shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> I almost made it in, guys. Uh, I think Kurosawa should, should be there, like, sipping tea or some shit. <laughs> They're on the backside. Those guys all deserved being around yeah. there and everything. And, yeah, so, uh, yeah, what a tough thing to do to try to come up with four. But I, I can tell you what, if you had asked me this morning before I came down here who I thought we would have picked, I don't think I could have predicted even 50% of those. I think Spielberg mm. and Hitchcock were the only ones I could have predicted. Yeah. I think I would have guessed your love of Kubrick would push it. I don't know, but I'm I'm happy with that. It's was solid. really fun. Yeah, yeah, it's solid. Yeah. And right. we get to do it again next week with Boom. a different category. That's right, baby. Yeah, All, right. All right. You want to do some questions? Let's do some questions. Baby, I let's do truth. it. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. All right. Um, my question is, what are some studios that do a good job allowing their directors to express their art? And what are some studios that are more controlling? Obviously, Marvel is an example of the latter. This is the shortest question to answer ever. Right. Right? A24 
I think is the current best example of a studio that has embraced the more Artur indie style director. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even know if they're a studio as much as their distribution outfit. Yeah. Um, a- A24 definitely is uh, that studio now. Um, I've seen this happen before, though, like Miramax yep. and um, and Focus Features and a lot of these that were coming out with great movies suddenly start looking at that bottom line. Yep. And they say, well, you know, we're not really making any money with this. <laughs> um let's uh now from all all i've heard about a24 is these guys are just made of money and they don't really care whether or not they're huge hits or not but they are coming out with the best stuff as far as the indie scene is concerned now i would also add amazon and uh netflix, and netflix yeah. on this uh because they're so they're just allowing they they're another they're another two outfits made of cash yeah and they're just throwing money at people and they're making stuff and it's and they're usually good. Yeah. They're, I mean, and even, you know, even stuff like Death Note, which got a lot of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, flack. When I see someone like you, Barrett, like the movie, mm-hmm. I begin to wonder if that movie is actually way better than anybody gives it credit for. Not not because you're wrong. It's I'm wondering if it's just that there's a lot of Death Note fans out there that don't uh, like it. That's the and big that's thing. it. Yeah, and that's yeah. the thing. And like if they could if they could have just not called it Death Note or right, whatever, right. and and would people have been fine with it or whatever? Yeah, because there's so much humor, and there's just I don't want to get into a Death Note review, but I mean it's 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 a lot better. From what I understand, it's the backlash from the fans of the manga. Yeah, and I mean it's a, it's got an instant, it's like instantly four point seven on IMDb, which I think is oh, just really? a complete like. I mean, I haven't seen the movie. Mm-hmm. I know it isn't that bad. Mm-hmm. No, like, no, yeah, no, definitely not. So now on the other end of the spectrum, um. Maybe not Marvel. I would call it Disney is probably the right. most controlling studio right now, just because in the last three years, we saw Edgar Wright essentially forced out of Ant-Man. Yep. Marvel was owned by Disney at the time. Mm-hmm. We've seen Lord and Miller basically forced off the Han Solo movie, Disney owns Star Wars. Which I guess they're reshooting the entirety it's, of. And then they point. just basically forced out Colin Trevorrow right. on episode nine. Right. Um, so I think they are probably giving the least amount of, especially when you think about or you reflect on some of the things Joss Whedon said after working for, or even uh, John Favreau in terms of the the, the freedom shrinking uh, moving forward and not getting bigger. Um, and they got Abrams to do nine. Again, yeah, right? they they have announced J.J. Abrams will do nine. I'm fine with that. I liked Force Awakens, I think, maybe more than most people did. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I like most about J.J. Abrams is that he is a fan and has respect. The look of Force Awakens is... What it tells to me is that there is something tremendously wrong with who they're picking and what they expect from those people. Yeah, Um, they're either they're either getting these people and saying, "I want you because you did this great movie or whatever," and then they just assume that there's some bullet points that they have to follow, and they and they'll just go ahead and do it. Trevorrow was on this thing. I mean, granted, I don't think they've started shooting, and I think Ant Man had, but. Or no, Ant Man hadn't started shooting, I don't think, but but Han Solo had definitely. But Trevor has been on this thing for like two years. Yeah. Like, how did they not discover until now? That's what I'm saying. Like, you have to you have to kind of know what's going what's going to happen before they go in. Right. Now, I know Trevor put out a movie a couple of months ago or this summer that apparently is being cons- considered one of the worst movies ever made. Yeah, um, I know what you're talking about. I and, don't, I can't and maybe the that was the problem. Yeah, well, I never, but but then the Lord and Miller thing makes no sense. No, it really doesn't. It's like they brought Lord and Miller in and said, "Now, don't no hijinks in this movie." 
By yeah, the way, <laughs> but then they were allowed to shoot, you know, ninety percent of the movie, know, or however much it was. Problem. And then, I mean, that's got to be such a loss. I mean, obviously they're going to do well with with the movie overall, and they're not sure really concerned about the cost. But it's just it's so weird that you get to that point, mm-hmm. and then you're like, no, no, we're going to pass. Yeah, and three times in three years, basically, this yeah. has happened. And it makes me a little concerned. That's why my tweet was, I sense a trend in the force. Yeah, <laughs> like, I keep doing this. <laughs> the Book of Henry was the movie. Ah, yeah. Uh, By the yeah. way, is it Trevorrow or is it Trevorrow? Well, it's Trevorrow for me until I'm proven otherwise. I don't know. I've always said Trevorrow, but I have to look that. I don't know. I've never heard it pronounced by somebody who absolutely knows. Actually, it's pronounced Wolf's Hard. Wolf's Hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Wolf Hard. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any like one. Ma- there's always a major studio. It seems like every three years or so that has that amazing track record where they're doing these like huge hits that people love and people like always like dissect it and they're like yeah this studio is uh doing this and this and this and that's why they're doing it like universal had that for a while yep. uh warner brothers i think is kind of having that right now with you know they're because annabelle creation and it were way better than they thought mm-hmm. that people thought would be or whatever and um uh, but there's always a major studio that seems to get some sort of recognition and then then they sort of fall off that mm-hmm. after a while. It's I think they get lucky sometimes, and because they're not, there's got to be I think a balance there, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just let a director go wild. It's got to be the first time directors, basically, right? Yeah, you yeah. can't let them go wild per se, but you kind of give them some freedoms. Don't don't like start nitpicking all sorts of stuff that they're going to be doing. And well, and I will throw out, I think part of the reason is that both star Wars and Marvel are trying to do these giant shared universes. Mm-hmm. And so they, they feel even more protective of each installation because it might upset the balance of this 17 other movies we've already made but then don't get go out there and get a joss whedon or a lord miller who are known for doing a certain thing i'm not yelling at you obviously i I concur (laughs) i mean like if you've got talent it's not like if you pick up andy machete or whatever it is that did it like Mm -hmm. who has a generally short track record you know if you've got somebody that has an established thing uh that's made gobs of money with other things let them do their thing and i've always said it man these movies are gonna make money no matter what why Mm -hmm. don't you just give these guys a shot at doing what they want to do now again i think the main problem for disney and marvel is that they're just they're not interviewing right there's just something wrong where they're like these guys are great go and do what you got to do and then (laughs) okay yeah And then, and then halfway through it, they're like, wait a minute, this is not what we signed up. Well, yeah, it was, but okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. That is definitely the most controlling company. Of course, they have so many properties. I, yeah, they own everything. I get the sense that they're, you know, they ha- they feel like if they lose one little grip on it, they'll... I could even make an argument Jason Siegel walked away from the Muppets for probably the same kind of reasons yeah. as these things. Could be. It could, could be. be. My son has this, uh, this video game, Disney Infinity. Uh, where yeah. it's got like all of the Disney properties that you can play as characters in this. And it is freakishly insane how many different properties are within yeah. this thing. You've yeah. got like Anakin Skywalker fighting, you know, Ant-Man or something like that. And like, ah, it's so weird. Yeah, yeah that's, they, they own it all. Half of all the everything, they own it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Hit me. All right, next question. Uh, in a previous pod, you mentioned how Jack Black was in his best role when he did School of Rock and Jim Carrey was in his best role in Liar Liar. My question to you guys is what are some of your favorite actors' best role? And the bonus question, if we want to, uh, is there an actor that you didn't that you don't think has been cast in their perfect role yet? 
Wow. Mm. So a lot of the actors that you can come up with, they sometimes have these, that they have a certain way about them in every movie that they're in. So mm-hmm. there's really no variance. Like you think about a John Cusack or somebody like that. Really doesn't. I don't think there's anything that Cusack's ever done that really like says, oh, he just did something really different. Yeah. <laughs> um gene hackman is a guy that i you know i think almost everybody loves you know mm-hmm. uh it, hackman has pretty much the same kind of role though and even it doesn't matter what movie it is he's pretty much the same but he's always good uh but in the conversation it, that is his one real big different movie mm-hmm. royal tannenbaums too but the conversation especially because he's so introverted mm-hmm. and he's not always yelling at people yes. and stuff like that it's uh, uh <laughs> because you made a phone call because you made a phone call <laughs> um you know it, it's it's i think it's his best performance yeah um there's there's so many i mean i think he i think he's got got, got away with doing a lot of the you know the the shouty villain type roles this one is so much different from what he's ever done and uh, it's my favorite of his i agree one of my favorite actors and one of my favorite and definitely my favorite role he's ever it's mm-hmm. a good call i have two that are like singular in in careers one is is val kilmer our mm. friend of the show val kilmer right because uh, mm. we were is this the first time we've mentioned val kilmer possibly yeah uh but as doc holiday in tombstone i think ah. that, that performance came out of nowhere i think oh. i agree um uh and it's great i mean you go back and you watch it and you're like that that is that is a character that i, I want to know more about mm-hmm. uh but to me it, it begins and ends with heath ledger in uh the dark knight oh yeah man yeah. i mean nobody had embodied the joker like like he had it's even so though sad that Jack we tried. won't ever get to see if he was still on his way up mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah that might not have been all he had between, no between no, broke no, back mountain and that he might have still had some spectacular performances in him that we'll never get to see. Well, yeah, well, he was 29, 28. How old was he when he died? I don't know, but when it, you do that, it causes him to look stuff up. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think that's about right. He was, he was, he, he yeah, he was about 28 or. Yeah, yeah so I mean, he there. definitely had some, some more performances like that. And uh, maybe not to the, the level of the Joker. Uh, but I've got another Batman tangential character that or actor that I don't think has been cast in his perfect role yet, and I think it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Mm. Now well, he's Snowden, been wasn't it? Right, exactly. Uh, did you see that? I saw that. I saw the walk. I watched most of uh, JG JLG JGL's work. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean he's great. He's great. He, he was. He's great in Looper. He's great in Brick. He's great. He, like all these things. Like he's terrific in. But I don't think he's been cast as like a particular like defining role. You know what I mean? I agree. I, I mean, agree. Unless That's actually a really good Robin. call. Yeah. No. Um, I, I think Jesse Eisenberg, his best role is going to end up being Social Network. Yep. Uh, ironically, I think that movie reigns him in a little bit more than even like Batman v Superman in terms of like, you know, the, the hyper fast talking and the kind of awkward nerd delivery or what have you. Not, it helps that it fits, you know, at least the public persona of Zuckerberg as we know it. Um, and that everything else in the movie around him is so great. But but before that, he was likable. After that, I think he's likable, but nothing is going to come close to that. I was Mm -hmm. just thinking, is it possible that that Eisenberg's performance in Social Network, we like that one, uh, and we don't like the one in Batman v Superman, which is almost the same thing, because in the Social Network, people are fighting back. In Batman v Superman, everybody's sort of taking it, where they think they've got one over on him and he comes up with something else or whatever. It, 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 
there seems to be some pushback. Like if someone were to talk to me in this manner yeah. in the social network, they're all like, you know, you know, you better lawyer up asshole yeah. and yeah. stuff like that is going on. Yeah. Whereas in Batman v Superman, everybody's just like the guy's like, yeah, I'll give you everything. Yeah. And all this other, you know, it's just, it, you know, he's, he's so showy in that role mm. though. Like he's so hammy, even though it's got the kind of staccato delivery and everything. Mm -hmm. He's also like got those hitches in his delivery and mm -hmm. Bruce Wayne and, mm -hmm. uh, and Clark Kent. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And in the social network, I don't think the only time he really cracks a smile, I think is after he's gotten the blowjob yeah. in the bathroom. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, other than that, like he's just, he's emotionless. He's a blank slate. And I guess yeah. maybe that's how Zuckerberg is. Is, and I think uh, for the other answer, I'll go Andrew Garfield because he's in Social Network, mm -hmm. almost steals that movie. Mm -hmm. Thought he was great in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Um, I saw Hacksaw Ridge recently. He's good in that. That movie, that's like two different movies. Mm -hmm. Have you guys seen that? Yep. Mm -hmm. I was not expecting like 55 minutes of buildup. I was before we actually get to war. Right. Uh, anyway, uh, and he's in that latest Scorsese movie, Silence. Uh, so he's working with all these great people being in these good movies, but I don't think we've yet seen the perfect fit role for Andrew Garfield. Yeah. The, uh, the, on the other side of that question where it's asking what actors have we seen at their best, uh, I think Tom Hanks, we've seen at his best. Uh, Tom Hanks is another guy, always generally the, the, you know, the good guy. He's the comedy guy, whatever. He's in, but... Philadelphia is going to be the best we've ever seen in Tom Hanks. Yep. There's never going to be anything better than that. I think you're probably that. right. Uh, and a uh, long time, uh, Hanks was probably my favorite actor for a while there. Um, he couldn't miss? No, he, he couldn't. Uh, but uh, but Philadelphia, that is, that is something where he was, he was aiming for more than I've seen him ever. Uh, almost everything else he's still i mean even forrest gump is still very tom hanks mm -hmm. uh even though he's just putting on another accent so yeah last one name a movie in which after a character was killed off the movie wasn't worth watching further mm -hmm. oh my answer is the departed after ever since ever everything after that elevator scene it pisses me off <laughs> how much how much time is left in the movie though after that i don't know six minutes it's maybe? like yeah it's not very long it's after not that. a lot but that you you it's a coda that doesn't need to be there though because you follow damon like going well, through about yeah. his business and all there that are stuff. ways to show me that dignam's gonna catch up to him and i don't need to worry about it mm -hmm. throughout the movie without and it maybe it's just that goddamn rat yeah. That in your face that somebody like Scorsese <laughs> should I've, be so better than that. I have a question about the end of The Departed, too. Like, when we're following all the events that happen in The Departed, yeah, we know that Matt Damon's not a great guy. But when he walks into his apartment complex, you have two people who don't know anything about that, unless they've just been told, I don't know, who just are just rude to him when he gets off the elevator. <laughs> like, for no reason. <laughs> That's true. Like I don't. I've never understood that. <laughs> they know that he's. I just assumed. Around. No, I've just assumed he's probably been rude to them in the past. Yeah, maybe. I don't know, but I don't know why he's all of a sudden nice. Also, then... one of my favorite new subreddits is oh, what's it called? I forget what it's called, but it's essentially noticing super tiny details in movies, <laughs> and they don't want like trivia or stuff that's known. They want you to find stuff. And mm -hmm. Somebody, maybe you guys already know this, but apparently there are X's in the background in The Departed. Anytime a character who later dies in the film is on screen, mm. and there's like several screenshots showing this, like there's a red X behind Leo in the elevator going down, oh. and there's X's all over the carpet and the walls of that apartment complex when Matt Damon's walking in at the end. Huh. By the way, that's kind of like Scott Pilgrim versus the World. They have a bunch of X's yes. that happen in yeah. that movie. Now that's known, but yeah. that's uh, that's uh, another little interesting <laughs> detail. 
So um, I have Brian Cranston and Godzilla. Oh yeah. Um, it's. I mean, I guess in a way you could could say like, oh, it's kind of interesting. They kill off one of the most known actors, and you know, and it says it pretty much says anything can happen and all that. But Cranston is built up as our hero all the way up into the point that he dies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you know, suddenly it's Aaron Taylor Johnson. I don't have a problem with him. It's really the character of being the guy that's going to lead you know this movie afterwards uh i feel like that movie would have been so much better if cranston gets to be the guy that yeah. that pulls everybody through it and everything and then they kill him off and it's like uh, man the rest of the movie for me except for when godzilla is like breathing that yeah you know that fire or whatever <laughs> into the you know the whatevers but uh those are that's uh where the movie stops becoming as good that's that's a pretty good call I have a shitty movie that gets shittier after this character dies. All right. Deep Blue Sea. Mm. Oh, the Sam Jackson? Yeah. Yeah. Because he get the, I mean, he's the most interesting character. In Although, that. I will tell you, that moment is the only reason anybody ever likes that movie. Exactly. Exactly. And everything after that is just totally well, and forgettable. And everything leading up to it is <laughs> totally forgettable. <laughs> like, it's not good. It's just that, I would argue it has to be there. Otherwise, this movie was off the face of the map two months after it came out. Yeah. But because it was so surprising shocking and the biggest star in the whole movie people have convinced themselves that equals good yeah and it really doesn't <laughs> yeah those are genetically enhanced sharks under there just think about what you're watching people yeah, that's right now you're gonna get a healthy dose of ll cool j after yeah. that yeah do you want to do a little mini it we could do some mini let's it. do a mini it no. although for the listener jeremy has not seen it yet so i will mostly play question asking background guy all right what did you think of it, Chris? Uh, I enjoyed it. Yes, I enjoyed it. Um, I think this is a I, this is one of those weird movies where it's R rated, but I feel like if you're 13 or 14 and your mom allows you to watch, you know, anything that's like on the edge there, you should. That's for them. It's for 13 and 14 year old kids yeah. a lot. I mean, it's for the nine year old that came up to us. Yeah, <laughs> he loves our videos. I love how the movie doesn't pull punches with you know like the kids talking like saying fuck every word and <laughs> and uh they're 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 acting like kids that i i remember when i was 13 and 14 like that's the type of stuff they're 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 lame jokes or awesome jokes for the yeah. movie you know <laughs> um uh, that that one <laughs> i don't know if this is i guess we won't say anything spoilery but um but uh you know i i enjoyed it uh, I've re I read the book a long time ago. I was about these kids' ages when I read the the book. It it wow. took me forever. It, I got through I got through the first half, and then I think it sat there on a dresser or something for like ever. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to finish this up. Is it bifurcated in the book? It's been forever since I read it's, it. It's it. Does it have like up. the Losers Club and then the the whatever it is? Yeah, I believe it's split up where it's uh, where you have the kids and then their adults. Did you just say bifurcated? Mm -hmm um they did they did that in the uh the miniseries as well mm. they they split that up if you saw uh, that uh subreddit post about the syncast drinking game i think i sent that to you one of them is every time barrett pulls out a vocab word oh yeah oh nice <laughs> so you just got him again <laughs> oh, was it a vocab word i, I heard somebody say like i say some obscure word yeah, i don't over know and over it was something along those lines bifurcated's gonna get him is all nice. i'm saying that somebody's um, drinking out there <laughs> Of course, we have uh, one of the kids from Stranger Things is in this, so he might be relegated. He's excellent. Finn Woodhead, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so he's got the most, the greatest cursing yes. in like tween history. Like Ooh. every time there'll be like a reaction shot where everybody just stops 
and because there's a lot of those, he'll throw in like a Jesus fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. It's yeah. just fucking great. His name's Finn Wolfhard. You were Finn close. Wolfhard, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he's like making a name for himself doing these 80s retro. His name is type of Wolfhard. Wolfhard. <laughs> that is a badass name. Wolfhard. Game of Thrones name. <laughs> Hard. Lord Wolfhard. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's great. He's probably the best part of the movie, I think, of all the, the kid actors who <laughs> were in this. There's a part where the the, the guy says, uh, "This this town used to be a beaver trap," and he's like, <laughs> "Still is, isn't it? Am I right?" <laughs> <laughs> that was the line I was gonna say. Oh, I didn't sorry. know if it was a spoiler or not. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, it's I'm trying. I was trying to watch this movie like do if I didn't have the book, mm-hmm. and I haven't, I haven't read the book in. 20 something years right. it's not like i know every single like last detail of it or anything and it wouldn't have mattered one way or the other but this movie even though it has a lot of your typical jump scares in it which i think is the negative out of all this and it's i think it's because of the um, the original material mm-hmm. it's so different from any other horror movie that you've ever seen yep it's so completely different um the it, just the way it goes about everything there are times a lot of times where you're just like come on already what, what are you doing pennywise what is <laughs> what is your goal in all of these different times where you show up and then don't do anything yep. you know you're just there to you scare know, them actually no I, I i've got a theory on that because yeah? it, without getting into spoilers I, I think he doesn't attack at times because he's trying to build up that fear okay i have another theory uh-huh. and you, you might be right it might be go hand in hand and i guess let's end the spoiler talk and say that we liked it mm-hmm. we both liked the movie uh so i guess this is a mini 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 pod here <laughs> um, what, we're going into spoilers uh yeah we're going to go into spoilers so we can talk Are you about, good about this. that i don't give a shit okay good Kind of Luke's father is actually Darth Vader. She's the sister and the daughter. They just no, 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 no. I'm reading the books. I have a theory also about this that maybe possibly now I don't think this holds on every scene, but uh that he he doesn't kill when there are witnesses because he doesn't want there to be anybody who can actually verify that he's uh he exists. Because the whole thing about the the in the book and in the movie they mention this too is um that the the adults can't seem to see him no they don't see anything they don't see even even the all the blood in the bathroom and all, all the blood stuff, the, that's yeah. i think that's straight from the book mm. um the um so they don't see it and it's it's one of those things where the adults don't see it so it, you, you also you know start getting into the philosophical areas of it where it's like, you know, the adults are blind to all the problems that are happening mm-hmm. in the town and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and all that. I really like that, that sort of that idea that, mm-hmm. that, and everybody in this movie has a fucked up parent. Yep. Every single one of them has. Sounds either. like South Park. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're well, all... the, the only negative stuff I've seen about this movie seems to be people that have a lot of baggage, uh, ties to the original book. Mm-hmm. Like, I even went on like the R movies discussion and like the five or six most top voted comments were all kind of meh or negative on it. But every single one of them was so specific about why I was like, like Mikey and Julie's relationship didn't play as well as it did in the book or blah, 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 or what have you. I, that nasally voice makes it sound like I'm poo-pooing people who love that book. <laughs> That's not what I mean. But I've never read the book, and I only saw the miniseries once uh, a long-ass time ago. So I'm actually kind of excited to see this. It's getting good reviews, and I don't have any baggage to kind of like 
however different it is, it's not going to throw me off. No, I did the same thing. I actually read it at some point in my early 20s or something like that, mm-hmm. saw the miniseries at some point, uh, but distanced myself intentionally from from that, like bringing those memories up so I could see it as fresh as possible. And I think it was it was better because of that. And I think it, it's such a Stephen King story. You know, mm-hmm. you're focusing... It, what the movie does well is it focuses on the like developing these kids like actual characters mm-hmm. instead of just throwing them in and showing the clown all the time. Um, and then you've got like the real world villain versus the ethereal villain, and you know it, it just plays so perfectly in that thing. And that's why he's such a successful writer; is he can do this really, really well. Good God, this is a, a huge like impact when I was with my buddies back in. Back in the 90s when that miniseries came out and everything, we used to always go around. Anytime float came up, we would be like, they all float. We'd always, I mean, like like clockwork. Anytime somebody mentioned the word float, <laughs> we would say they all float. Um, and uh, But yeah, uh, it's interesting. I, I think it's really well shot. Mm-hmm. And of course, the effects are really good. I think the effects of Pennywise are terrifying, man. The, yeah. All the teeth and gums and everything when he's when he's about to eat somebody, holy shit, man. That it's like his like the entire inside of his mouth comes out of his lips. Yeah. And just like wraps around these things. It's it's, it's scary as fuck, yeah. man. I love Bill Sar- Skarsgård. Yeah, Bill, Scar- Scar- Bill Skarsgård uh character. And the way that he does it because I do remember Tim Curry's Pennywise yeah. and and loving that and everything. But he's got such a very specific delivery. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. He sounds like a clown. And then I actually saw a video of him doing the smile mm-hmm. without makeup. Yeah. And it's almost as terrifying. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wraps his lips around and he does this weird thing with his cheeks and mm-hmm. everything. It's just, it's a really, really great performance, I think. And, you know, the the people who have ties to the book this always happens by the way there's always scenes that they cut from the book. they cut a scene that i'm glad they took out in, in it where where she like the girl ends up having sex with all the boys yeah. after after the first battle or whatever yeah and i'm like sitting there going there's no there's no way they're even hinting at this <laughs> maybe they there's a possibility i guess when they come out with this chapter two or whatever or this or whatever that they'll refer back to it but it'll be adults talking yeah know? but i don't i don't i because i, I like I they didn't show that, it but maybe it's supposed to have happened off screen or something if they if they want to make book people happy with every single little detail yeah or i think the the point what i think the way that she brought them together mm-hmm. was not by that but by being captured yeah 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 and then that's where he goes into the arcade and gets them out yeah. so she does bring them together just not in a really skeezy really saw, weird yeah. fucked up way i saw a quote from um from stephen king about that scene um <laughs> the end of it was basically like people didn't get so sensitive about stuff like that back when i wrote it yeah speaking of the girl uh she's fantastic oh she's absolutely great man i did not expect the level of performances i mean the, i guess uh it plays bill uh the stuttering kid mm-hmm. it's very good yeah uh but yeah the uh, finn wolfhard and, and uh sophia sophia lillis plays the girl is terrific yeah, I don't want to call out because these are kids actors. Mm-hmm. There's one, there's one performance in this movie that got on my nerves mm-hmm. a little bit, and I and I don't blame the the kid for mm-hmm. that. I think it's just that I think the director probably like just keep doing what you're doing yeah. and everything. And <laughs> there were there were moments where I was just like, man, dude, yeah. just can can we do something <laughs> about this? Um, 
but yeah, overall a good time. I don't. I think. I think people are rushed to judgment as far as it being like great, mm-hmm. but it's good. It's very. It's it's one of the better horror movies that you'll see. Uh, you know, and you know, it's on track to be the highest grossing. You know, movie it, of all time. it yeah. uh, it what it broke three records. Uh, it broke not only September, but it broke fall opening wow. ever. That's really, fall crazy. That's opening. crazy. Harry Potter used to open minutes. in the fall. Yeah, that's nuts. Huh. It broke fall opening, and it easily broke horror movie record. And uh, it almost beat R-rated, but Deadpool oh, had yeah. 135 million. That's it wasn't far off of nope. Deadpool. But, but yeah, this is a movie I'd watch probably several times again. Yeah. I, I told Chris, uh, as soon as we came out, I think it's probably about 10, 15 minutes too long. Mm. Uh, but And that's just like editing within the scene. Like the chases kind of go on for a while and mm. stuff like that. And there's a whole like thing that's a big climax, it feels like. And then yeah. it, and then it, and then it's sort of like that. It, I don't want to compare a movie like this to a romantic comedy, but romantic comedy has that moment where the two leads break up. Yeah. And there's, uh, you know, that whole like period of time where the guy's like, I wonder how I'll be able to get her back. Oh, I know. I'll show her how much I love kids. And like, <laughs> um, and like, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's like that. They have a kind of a breakup there mm-hmm. and then they have to get the gang back together because, you know, Hey man, our Bev's been kidnapped and we gotta we've got to it. We got to save her, even though every every single one of the people that has ever been dragged down to the sewer by it is dead. Usually, <laughs> she's fine. She's alive. Yep. Um, kind of like she's kind of like Newt in Aliens, where, <laughs> where, where you know Ripley goes all the way back. <laughs> she's like, only mostly dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> they come out at night mostly. Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, I I would recommend it. I think I would watch it again. So A minus, B plus. I, I yeah, I'm, I'm I'll put it at B plus for mm-hmm. now. I would say the same thing. Yeah. All right, guys. uh, That'll be it for this week. Uh, Just keep on going to stuff like SoundCloud, our email address. And we have a fun announcement. We are opening a Facebook community page. (laughs) Nice. So you can go to Sincast Cinema Sins on Facebook. Uh, We'll have the episode posted there. We'll have a nice discussion. Uh, it's more integrated. Everybody's on Facebook now. Uh, so go there. Feel free to go to the other places, too. Send us an email if you want to. But that's going to be kind of our primary nesting spot for a while. Nice. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Sherr. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. There's like a clown renaissance happening because I actually watched the first episode of American Horror Story. Oh, yeah. The new one. It's about clowns and the election. Oh, yeah. I've never it's, watched any of that show. I, I Every once in a while, I find it entertaining. Like, the beginning of the Roanoke house last season was good. It mm-hmm. had Cuba Gooding Jr. and Sarah Paulson's and all of them. And uh, that was good, but, like, this one was just weird. Like, Evan Peters is doing, like, a Johnny Depp, Heath Ledger type of thing, which I think he can pull off, but it's, like, it's exactly like they would act. Hmm. And mm-hmm. but it's about clowns. Like she's freaked out about clowns, and there's creepy looking clowns. But like it's just weird that that comes out right after it is out. Yeah, it out, it out. He took, I, 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 he took it out. It out. <laughs> <laughs>
Anyway, I don't know if it's worth watching. You know, they probably did it that because of that. They knew it. I mean, we've. I mean, the the all that stuff. The yeah, Pennywise was out when we talked to Aaron Sims. Yeah, and that was last year. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, I mean, I think they probably had that all set up. It's such a meta thing. Like it's all these like neoliberals that are like sitting around an election night, like you know, becoming increasingly horrified and everything. Sarah Mm -hmm. Paulson's character is just nails on a chalkboard man she is married to allison pill in this show oh yeah and allison pill is cute as a button i love me some allison pill mm-hmm. 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 what happens if the engine stops we all i do <laughs> i do <laughs> i do love that part and uh just bringing up allison pill uh in scott pilgrim versus the world where <laughs> jason schwartzman refers to her as the smoking hot ba- <laughs> drum player and she looks at him like what <laughs> She was on the she was on uh, the um, the Aaron Sorkin HBO yeah the newsroom newsroom oh she was yeah. on the newsroom yeah I wish I had gotten into that show more you said you watched all the episodes I did too yeah it was three seasons I, when it was on its third season I started kind of like binging to catch up mm-hmm. and, you know it's like every Sorkin series except West Wing West Wing you know they're all really engaging and mm-hmm. they're just not quite as good as west wing yeah like that studio 60 i watched mm-hmm. while oh, it that, was on i hated that see i I, w- I found it compelling but that's probably just because i really like matthew perry mm-hmm. and the other dude whose name's escaping me bradley whitford yeah they made a they i think the problem with studio 60 is they they made a big deal in the first couple episodes well the first episode of this skit this sketch they're doing called crazy christians right and then so you actually see the sketch and mm. and you're and you're like this is what you were upset about. There's more, way worse stuff out there, and everything. Yeah. And and, and so then it became hard to take them seriously as a sketch show, that a working sketch show. Yeah, sort of like thirty thirty rock was at the same time. Yeah, came it out came the out same time. Yeah, yeah. And and they were doing that. They were having problems because they were showing actual sketches on the girly show, which is something that would you know yeah, yeah. never would be a show. <laughs> Uh, cause you would never call a sketch show and, uh, like they, uh, they would show these sketches and you're like, I'm having a hard time uh, believing that this is a working outfit of mm-hmm. writers and actors yeah. when you show that type of thing. Yeah. And, and you would think Sorkin would be able to, I remember thinking that about studio 60, that whenever they did show sketches, they weren't all that funny. Mm-hmm. And the, the show's trying to get a lot of its drama from the urgency of doing a weekly live show where they have all these sketches on the board and have to argue about them and fight for them and then which ones will they choose and it's right before the show. But all you lose all of the tension when ultimately the skits that you do show me, I'm like, why did anybody fight for any of these? Yeah. <laughs> In a show like that, you have to just leave it alone or become a sketch show. Yeah, yeah have some w- funny shit. Within, within yeah. the show. And have writers write actual sketches, but man, yeah, that's I think that's what was its undoing. That very first episode was, yeah, that's I mean, I felt it was good too for a while until yeah. that point got to it. Sorkin did Sports Night, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was a good that show. was good shit too. I like that. It, it was it kind of before he peaked and hit that West Wing stride, at least as a, as a television writer. Um, I think that show was like 80% walk and talks. Well, of course, so, so was West Wing. All of them are. I mean, even the newsroom was all walk and talks. Well, it's, he excels at that yeah. shit. I think newsroom failed for virtually the same reasons as yeah. Studio 60 did. The first season was great because it had an idealistic look at news that's mm-hmm. impossible yeah. with the corporations and everything owning all these media conglomerates and everything. 
Uh, so it was it was fun to see them do news that wasn't normal, like news like normal. But then once they started introducing characters who were like, we gotta we gotta ramp up your Twitter following, and we've <laughs> got it. We've and like corporations were coming in trying. Obviously, that's what would happen, mm -hmm. but they just needed to have somebody who was, you know, they needed to have John Hurt from Contact who doesn't care. Like, you give them a whole bunch of money just to do what, <laughs> yeah. do what they want yeah, and, and, and let them do the news as is instead of this whole, like, oh, no, corporations are coming in. Just like what it would happen in real life. No, we don't want to see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to see real life, for fuck's sake. Yeah, man. exactly. <laughs> Sipping on coke and rum. I'm like, so what? I'm drunk. It's the freaking weekend, baby. And I'm about to have me some fun. Bounce, 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 bounce. <laughs> I had the biggest scare with my cats I've ever had. Oh, no. After coming back from it the other day. Oh, no. Tying this in from, from you know, the movie that we watched. Uh -huh. Usually have no problem coming home the cats are all sitting there waiting for me when i get back they hear the door open they're all like sitting there like waiting just feed me mm -hmm. <laughs> there was only one cat downstairs when i got home and he was like looking over his shoulder and like looking up the stairs and like all like spooked mm -hmm. i don't know what it was uh so no nobody was coming down there wasn't like any I would have figured after, and I started preparing my own food, and I was like, surely this will bring everybody down. Nobody was coming down. Huh. And uh, so, while I'm cooking, I went upstairs, and I saw the second cat. He was on my bed just, like, lying around. I was like, okay, so, no big deal. But the other cat, the big one, could not find him anywhere. Hmm. I looked every, I looked under the bed, I looked in closets, I looked behind doors, I looked all sorts of places. Hmm. couldn't find him and i started to really worry i was like is it possible that he was out in the garage and i just didn't know and i opened up the garage and he ran out or mm -hmm. was did right. he some did he somehow manage to get inside my car and i turned it on or something like that you know one of those type of yeah. things and i could not find him anywhere um finally i was like all right i'm gonna look in some real stupid places yeah <laughs> <laughs> And he was in my office behind the TV and the TV stand. Oh, wow. And I, I looked down at him. I was like, hey, buddy, what's up? And he was just looking at me like, I'm not going anywhere. Huh. I'm not going anywhere. Now, I did notice that the trash can inside the office had been knocked over. So it could have been something where they were all playing around in that with that trash can and it fell down and yeah. then they had that you know probably had a big mad scatter after it <laughs> fell down because yeah. they've done that in the middle of night before <laughs> where and i had and i had one time i had a little paper shredder on the top of that that trash can and at like four o'clock in the morning i heard this just like these three cats galloping away from from somewhere and i heard just this <laughs> Oh shit! They turned it on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they turned it on because I think they they because it fell uh -huh. off the trash can and it, the button just switched. <laughs> so and funny. um, I got up. I saw the cats just mad dash everywhere. And then I went into the office and and I saw I was like I got the got the trash back up. And then you know at four o'clock in the morning you're like, what's that noise? <laughs> I don't even know what that noise is. Ah, oh, paper shredder. Oh, okay. And then like <laughs> Nick, when you wake up in the morning you're like, oh shit uh, i was a paper shredder and everything <laughs> uh um, they didn't get their tail stuck yeah no kidding 
That's right. Just clap your hands. That whole uh, look for the cat that you're starting to get worried about thing happens about once every few months in my house. Oh, yeah? Because, well, we're hermits. We don't ever have people over. We don't want to have people over. <laughs> uh, so the cats are only used to a couple different people that have been over before frequently enough. And everybody else, they just hide. And sometimes it's just, it's not a place they've ever hidden before because they got felt cornered in a room and... Went into this place. This happened just like five days ago. We spent about 30 minutes looking for our Davis, and we finally found him. And he was like in the towel cupboard under the sink in the spare bathroom, hiding behind a stack of towels. Wow. <laughs> and he never been. And believe me, I was, I was looking in there. Yeah. I was looking because one of the cats has learned how to open up those yeah. doors. Fucking things. And, uh, and so I was thinking maybe there was a chance that the door opened and then it got closed back on one of the other cats and they couldn't get out. So I was opening up uh, cabinets and all this other stuff. But yeah, he was behind the TV. And I, I think, yeah, once they get into that situation where something that that fight or flight instinct comes in and the flight, it's something like like traumatic, like yeah. trash falling on them or something like that. I think they get into these like just two hour dazes where they're like, I'm staying where I'm at. I don't, <laughs> I'm fine here. <laughs> But they were all acting funny, like though you know. There's just, I mean, even the one who doesn't really get scared, the you know, the middle cat, I always call him. He always, he was even he was kind of like, kind of like looking. He wasn't really himself. He was just kind of like looking around. Like, yeah, they fucked up? some shit up, man. Yeah, they did. They really did. Either that or a killer clown was in your house right Indeed. before you got home. Well, I mean, when you watch the movie, man, you really open that up into your life, right? I bet.